Your move, creep. Mission back freezer. You both Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, boy! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. All right, Austin. So we're here to talk about District 9, correct? Yes. Actually, wrong. Wrong, what? Austin. Did you not get the newsletter? Ah. Uh... I forgot. I'm sorry. Mm-mm-mm. Well, let me. I'm here to educate you. We will not be doing District Nine. Instead, we are doing a little switcheroo. We. Why are we doing a switcheroo? Well, because this week's guest changed their mind, which you know it happens. But honestly, we're flexible. Yeah, yeah. We're not. We're not sticklers about that. And actually, I think our listeners are going to get a bigger kick out of this one because I think a lot of us have a very, very deep connection to this film. We're going to be talking about Toy Story. The 1995 classic starring Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, directed by John Lasseter. And this was the first film in Pixar's catalog, Pixar as a studio, Mm -hmm. and or their first feature length film. As far as I'm aware, this is their first feature length film. One of the first 3D animated films ever. Is is that? I I don't know. Mm, Maybe it's one that featured it featured a lot of it. I think it might be the first one. Remember, I think we were talking about um, achievements in 3D animation, I think, when we were doing Terminator 2. I'm not sure if it made it into the episode, Mm. but I could find that list of uh, milestones and see what Toy Story did for 3D animation. Well, this movie did a lot for the film industry as a whole. It was kind of like the beginning of the end of, of 2D animation. Yeah. That's kind of a bummer to think about because 2D animation is great and you kind of wish it has still flourished, but it has been a downhill decline. It's been a decline for 2D animation. I mean, now, I mean, what was the last 2D animated film released in theaters recently? Probably a Miyazaki movie, the Studio Ghibli. But didn't they, didn't the studio release a 3D film recently in the past year? I think Miyazaki's son directed it. Does that count? I mean... It's not Miyazaki, but it's Studio Ghibli. Ghibli? Ghibli or Ghibli? I think it's uh, uh, Studio Ghibli. Ghibli. Okay. For a while, I said Ghibli, like the Ben Affleck, oh, Jennifer Jesus Lopez. Christ. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. My God. You mean studi- I know it's not that. Studio Ghibli, right? No, Jesus. dude, that's the movie. <laughs> it's the same thing. Tomato, tomato. No, but there's a huge film, huge impact. I, I mean, I still don't know that much about it. This is obviously the first part, but I can't wait to get into all of that. I think, if anything, that's, I think, the bulk of our conversation, where our conversation is going to be headed. Because, I mean, like we all have memories of this film, but it, I'm sure they're still positive. If yeah. anything, really, as far as I can tell, because I haven't seen this movie in a long time. But when Same. I watched when I watched it as a kid, I watched it so much I can remember so much. Yeah, just that's what I think of when I see this movie. Yeah, and I there have been sequels to Toy Story, and it's like whenever a new one comes out, it's like it's like that new movie kind of like refreshes my memory on like the first one. Does that happen to you? I haven't seen the 
the fourth one. Oh, you haven't? No. Dude, it's good. It's good. Like, I, Yeah, I, I like the way the third one ended. And then I'm, I was kind of surprised that they made another one after that. Well, that was a, that's what everyone was saying. I can't end better than three. I'm like, it's not about ending better. It's about can it bring a good resolution? And it does. Like, it's it's like a natural conclusion to the their story. Yeah, we'll see. See when Toy Story 5 comes out. <laughs> no, I, I don't think that's going to come out. I don't because I don't know where they would go from. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> but go check out Toy Story 4. And check out all these movies. Honestly, this might be one of the best like film franchises of all time. If you really think about it. Like but the best how? Just in terms of critical reception. A box. Uh, no. Yeah. Critical reception. Audience ratings box office they've all been financially successful and critically none of them are lower than 90 percent, 95 percent. toy story one according to rotten tomatoes toy story one has a hundred percent toy story two hundred percent mm-hmm. toy story three 98 percent toy story four 97 percent man they really lost it didn't they oh, right oh man that, <laughs> those three percent those those three critics or five you know they're like no it's not like the original one but, you know, I mean, think about it from that's a 3% dip. You know, again, this is Rotten Tomatoes. But I mean, I guess I don't know. I don't really think of things as like the best franchise. I, I think of things as my favorite franchise. I but guess. I mean, OK, would you say that the Lord of Rings franchise is better than like, I don't know. I mean, in, when those movies came out and when I watched them, I would say those movies have a a big a bigger place in my heart than the Toy Story franchise. I can't even remember the second one. You can't? No. No. I don't, how many times did you see the second one though? Because you saw it once. once. And, yeah, and you moved on. But there's no denying that it's a good movie. Yeah, I can't remember oh, of course. it. It's like it's well, a good movie. There's a lot of movies I can't remember. But it didn't. It didn't like. You know what was it that you said before? It didn't lift my spirits up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now <laughs> that's, that's some shit you said. Yeah. Well, I was quoting a guy who had said it. And he was like, yeah, I like it, but it didn't like lift my soul up or lift my spirits up. And that's like, okay, fair enough, because there are, there are good movies that just don't do that to you for one reason or another. Now, if that's how you felt mm. about the sequels, then okay, fair enough. I mean, they were they were good, but I never watched them again. <laughs> but look, when people talk about best franchises, what do they mention? Back to the Future, Godfather, Lord of the Rings, um, Star Wars or whatever. Right. And look, it's. Is that really a fun, it's a just a fun conversation to have because you can't really say that one thing's better than the other. I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of dumb. I mean, it's you know, it's a, you can in in some cases, but like they're not really comparable. Exactly. You know? And it's a piece of art. Mm-hmm. You can't say that Van Gogh's better than Picasso. Or, and I mean, I don't know if you can. I mean, maybe there are people who do it, but. I th- I th- Maybe, but do you really want to listen to that conversation? I'd be interested. I am curious, though. Mm, I don't think you will be. <laughs> I don't know. I like. Okay. I like listening to people talk about you know music, TV, movies in that sort of way because it just you know you're hearing different opinions about it and they bring up good good points and stuff. And I just think that this is gonna go down as a look. May, I, I don't know in the terms of best franchise, but. It's a good franchise. The mm-hmm. it hits its mark consistently. I don't think you can argue against that. I I just I don't know. I'm I'm personally not interested in that conversation. That this is a better franchise than Lord of the Rings. Well, I'm not saying that though. I'm saying no, that really... this is one of the best. Okay, it's a solid franchise. 
I would say good, but okay, you want to pull out the solid. Oh, are we gonna get on the semantics yeah, now? Yes, I'm even we, less uh, interested in that conversation. Yeah, no, for real. No, it's, but it's good. No, it's it's well. Look, I if you dislike these movies, fine. But they are people love these movies mm-hmm. uh, with good reason. I mean, I I I know my parents have a have strong feelings about these movies. They love them. My sister loves them. I really don't. Why do you love them? I just love the stories that they're in and the characters and the shenanigans that they get into. Like, it's just a fun movie, but they always have like a good, strong, emotional center. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not that just that they're fun. It's that every movie is about something. And it's one of those lessons that you could that you can learn and you can apply to your own life. You know, that's I think that's what makes Pixar films really stand out, you know, and not just not just Toy Story, but Finding Nemo, Coco, Up. They have such a strong emotional center that you're that they just resonate with you so much. And these movies as well. I mean, you talked about the Toy Story 3 ending. How many how many kids our age resonated with that ending when you know, people were graduating high school. They were leaving home. They were leaving behind their old friend groups and moving on. I mean, fuck, especially our age, right? I know you're a bit older, but I mean, when I was when I saw Toy Story three, it was a, it was around that age, you know, when I was leaving high school and stuff. And I know a ton of people felt the the exact same way. I know we're talking about Toy Story three, but it's just it's just proving my point that these movies have such a core emotional center that we all. I'd like to think that we all uh, attached ourselves to it pretty strongly. Mm-hmm. Okay. You seem you seem to disagree. Mm-hmm. No, I don't disagree. What, what? I'm just trying to like I'm trying to think of like what does Toy Story mean to me? Mm, okay. Um. Well, let me ask you a question. Did you remember watching this movie for the first time? I did. I did remember oh. watching this movie. I, I think it's one of the first movies I can remember going to the theaters for. Okay. And just like thinking that my toys were alive. Because I, I had a lot of uh, Star Wars toys and Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z toys and Reboot toys. You remember Reboot? No. God, um, I guess it's my I'm showing my age. But Reboot was this uh, also a 3D animated show where it would be inside of a computer. Right. So like anytime a person wants to play a video game. It takes over a section of this like computer city with all these characters living in there. And depending on what game that the user was playing, all those people would turn into characters, NPCs of that game. And they were always the NPCs that you'd kill. But within like the show, they were like, you know, uh, regular people, people that you like. (laughs) And uh, it was the main character, the guardian, Bob, it was his job to be like the boss of of that uh, game. So he was the villain for the user, but for the people in the world, he was the hero. And any if the user ever won a game, that entire section and all the people living there were all killed. Really high stakes for <laughs> for a kids show. Mm-hmm. But uh, it got me thinking that like, man, are these these things that I'm playing with, these toys, these like NPCs and video games, are they really alive? Am I the villain? Am I the baddie? <laughs> oh God, Jesus Christ, Austin! What kind of kind of childhood memories do you have i don't know like i'm i'm not i don't think i'm alone in thinking that like after watching toy story you're like man are my toys alive no not am i not am i hurting them Mm. no not a little bit no 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 no. i agree in that because i i i think i felt the exact same way too because i had a bunch of toys i felt like that maybe they might be coming along but not that i was hurting them 
Not like, oh, I'm or like, I'm the he, villain. I think Jesus Christ. I think there's there's like this uh neglect that Woody feels like he's he's getting because he's Andy's playing with Buzz now and Woody's not being played as much of and it's like affecting his feelings and it it makes him try to kill Buzz, right? I don't know if I, I can't remember if he kills him or just tries to get rid of him by pushing him. I can't remember that part too much. But it's he tries it's, to get rid of like him. A, he takes Woody by by just not playing with him, he takes Woody into like this really dark place. And you thought that you were doing that with all your toys, that you had a room full of Woodies? I felt like I had to play with all of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I would incorporate them all into like these really extravagant storylines. Mm-hmm. Like I would make my Dragon Ball characters play with my Star Wars characters. Like they would all be in the same universe. Mm. Does that make sense? No, the, Kevin Feige did the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. That's what I remember from, from Toy Story. That's how I remember it affecting me. How old were you? Making me feel more... Well, this movie came out in 95, so I was five years old. Okay. I'm pretty sure we saw it in theaters. I know for sure we had the VHS, and I saw it a bunch of times. Oh, yeah. This was one of those movies we saw over and over and over and over again. Same. I'm pretty much, I I think I felt the exact same way that my toys were alive and stuff, but I was like, I guess I just... I remember, this is random, but like someone threw a Woody doll on top of our roof, Mm -hmm. and it was just chilling there for the longest time until... We find found a way to like get it down. It was like dirty and gross, and we didn't know where it came from, so it was just like live outside. We'd only play with it when we were outside. <laughs> you didn't take it inside, and hell no. Why not? Because we don't know where it came from. It's just it's yours. I don't think our mom wanted. It. I don't think our mom wanted us playing with. I don't even know if she knew that we had it. Hmm. The bad omen. Yeah, we we had different. I'm, my sister had a Buzz Lightyear, and if you press the button, so it'll make all the noises and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a Woody. Uh, yeah, I remember those. And it, a Rex. I think we got the Rex from, like, McDonald's or Burger King or something, because it wasn't, like, a fancy one. I'm pretty sure it's a safe statement to say that growing up at most kids in the... Or most kids probably had some toy of Toy Story. Like, at least, you know, like... Even if it was something from McDonald's or something like someone had one <laughs> piece of toy from this franchise. Uh, you, you, do you know what I mean? Like one like, oh, yeah. I had the. Oh, the the Fisher Price. Like, I don't know if it's Fisher Price, but like it was like a it was like a speaker. Woody uses it to like make his announcements, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. In the beginning. We had that. <laughs> we had that before Toy Story. Oh, th- that toy was real. That was a real toy. And they incorporated it into the film. Yeah, I think a lot of them were real toys. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, the the Mr. Potato Head. Mr. Potato Head was not a character invented for Toy Story. No way. You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. Wait, 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 wait. wait. I thought Mr. Potato Head was a creation from the film. I thought all these toys were a creation for the film. Wait, so was Woody and Buzz, were they toys? Buzz, Buzz and Woody were original. Okay. But Bo Peep, the Piggy Bank, those were not Toy Story exclusives. <laughs> For reals? For real. What the fuck? Do you think do you think no one thought of a piggy bank before Toy no, Story? No, I, I I mean, okay, a piggy bank sure, like that okay, that that's fine. I'll give you that one. But like Mr. Potato Head, I'm like I I've always thought Toy Story. Mr. Potato Head, Toy Story. I never I didn't know that they made Mr. Potato Head and then 
Pixar was like, oh, we, we should put him in nah, the film. Man. Like, I thought nah. generic toys, like the toy, the the army guys, I figured, oh, those, yeah, okay. They, yeah, they, they made army guys f- for, you know, kids before the film. Isn't that a weird thought to you, just having a bunch of army guys? Like, hey, we're going to sell a bunch of army little toys <laughs> to kids. Well, it's, it's part of the, like, uh, war propaganda. Yeah. From the uh, World War II years, like the 40s and stuff. Yeah, it's it well, G.I. Joe. It's mm-hmm. that's a weird. We might have to get into that the history of toys because it's kind of weird when you think. There's about a lot it. of places to go with this. Yeah. Oh, there is. It's it's like it's a hard. I don't know. I feel like that's why I was so like weirded out by the start of this episode. Like, why do you want to talk about it being the best? There's so many other things that we can talk well, about. Well, it's the toy story. it was just a it was just a statement just to say it's a good <laughs> franchise. But then you had to make it all weird and be like, is it the best? What does the best mean? It's like, okay, man, it's a good franchise. It's one of the it's it's a good franchise. It's up there with Lord of the Rings and what other whatever other fucking franchise that there is that's really good. I I don't know, man. It's that was just mm. a statement. I didn't think it was going to be a whole focal point for this conversation. <laughs> Jesus. It might yeah, the the potato head and that that speaker were toys for sure before Toy Story. Bo Peep, absolutely. The 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 slinky uh, the dog. The bank, the slinky, but I think that they didn't want to put like a slinky in the movie, so they turned into a dog. <laughs> that's what my guess is i have no idea it's probably a better just the dog has a personality he okay makes sense okay so they basically just reconfigured existing toys to put them into the film i think so okay somewhat i don't want to actually that's something that i want to look into for the next part of the episode is trying to see how far this goes because i didn't know that how deep does the rabbit hole go exactly because you can't like I, I thought these were all original. Like, obviously, yeah, Piggy Banks existed, but I didn't know that, like, Mr. Potato Head was something created before that they decided to put in the film. That speaker boombox thing, I didn't know that was like, oh, that must just be something that they decided to make. Mm. Like, the aliens. Or were the aliens original? They have to have been, uh-huh. right? I, I think so. But they might have been based off of something else. That's mm. interesting that you you didn't know those characters beforehand. No, 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 no. That's one aspect we could get into. Um, another thing that we're going to talk about is the creation of this movie. Because this movie uh, created Pixar's. This was the movie yeah. that put them on the map. And, I mean, we're talking about if this was the first feature-length film to incorporate 3D animation for the entire runtime. What was that like with computers from that era? 1995? Yeah. I can't even... 1995. This it was built on the Apple Macintosh, I believe. Yeah, I didn't. Wait, wasn't Pixar a uh, Apple company? Oh, they might have been. I, I think, think I. I don't know. I feel like that's uh, there are like random facts that you learn about. You know about certain things. I feel mm-hmm. like that was a random fact that I learned about. Like I think Apple owned Pixar for a while. I mean, obviously, the creation of this movie was a big deal, and it was yeah. it was so lucrative. Um, this movie was made on a budget of $30 million, right? Which back in 1995 was a lot more than just $30 million, right? And yeah, it's still kind of low, though. Like, was compared to the other movie, like, do you want to go over the top uh, 10 movies of that year? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we have a little bit more perspective. Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, so let's go back to 1995. Um, the number one year in domestic release, uh, since George only cares about domestic releases. Mm hmm. Batman Forever, number one. I saw the movie in theaters. 
That's probably the reason why Val Kilmer is my favorite Batman. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh. It's probably because of this this freaking movie. <laughs> hey. The first Batman movie I saw in theaters. Ooh, okay, okay. Um, Am I going to say he's the best Batman? No, but he's my favorite. Oh, get the... Move past <laughs> it, Austin. Build a bridge and get over it. Plus, we know the best one is Christian Bale. But anyway. Okay. Um, Number two, Apollo 13. Ooh. Another Tom Hanks movie. Ron Howard. Mm-hmm. Number three, Toy Story. Number four, Pocahontas. Number five, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. That's the sequel. Which I believe... Is it the sequel? I don't know. Yeah, it's a sequel because the first one's Pet Detective. Mm. Yeah, this one is the better one, I think. And I'll die on that hill. Number six, Casper. Number seven, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Number eight, Goldeneye. Number nine, Crimson Tide. Number ten, Waterworld. Woo! Waterworld! God (laughs) damn, that's another movie I'm excited to talk about on the podcast. I I watched that movie last year. Holy shit, do I have some thoughts. (laughs) All right. But also coming out this year, Seven, Bad Boys, Dumb and Dumber, Species, Babe, Clueless, Jumanji, Pulp Fiction. Wait, Pulp Fiction? No. Pulp Fiction came out in October of 94, but it made money in 95, so it's on this list. Okay. And uh, the first Mortal Kombat movie as well. Paul W.S. Anderson. This is a pretty nostalgic list. I mean, I'm pretty sure I've seen 90% of these movies. I've I've seen all of them. Really? Yeah. I've never seen Crimson Tide, but that's with Denzel Uh, Washington, right? I think it... Oh. Oh, I I think I'm... I'm thinking of Hunt for the Red October. I don't oh. think I've seen Crimson Tide. Oh, 90, I might have. 99% though. Even, but even, but the bulk of this list, I think you and I have both seen uh, yeah. a lot of times. I mean, mm-hmm. every film on there, I think I've seen more than once at least. Toy Story number three. That's insane. And that movie, Toy Story 3, or Toy Story made, it was number three. Mm-hmm. And in total, domestic and worldwide, it made $373 million. It's number two at the worldwide box office. Because three hundred over three hundred million is a lot, but mm-hmm. in ninety five must have been a lot more. Especially when your like investment was thirty million, so you're making ten times the amount of money that you invested in. That's pretty good. Whoa. Okay, three hundred and seventy three million in nineteen ninety five is equivalent in purchasing power to about six hundred sixty nine million. $557,000. Holy shit. Almost double. That's why. Inflation, baby. It, inflation, baby. That's why it's always cool to check. So $30 million was probably, uh, uh, for nowadays, would be roughly around $60 million. 600 Wait. No, no. $30 million. 30, okay. It's a, the budget. I'm just okay. basically almost doubling it. Um, But yeah. Oh, that's. I mean, yeah. This movie made a ton of money. Dude, I'm excited to talk about this movie. Just the actual creation of it, what these guys have gone through, Pixar as a whole. I'm I'm personally curious about the toys that were kind of repurposed for this film. <laughs> um, did you ever write your name at the bottom of the a toy's foot? I think I did. With the backwards N. Oh, there's no N in George. No. Uh, I think I might have. I'm not sure though. <laughs> I mean, I think there. I think I had a version of Woody that had the Andy 
underneath his foot already. Uh-huh. I wonder if there were any Woody toys that uh had it empty so kids could put their own names on there. Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm pretty... Look, man, I think it's safe to say I'm going to enjoy this movie. I'm speaking for myself. I don't know about Austin, but I feel like I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to enjoy revisiting the, this again. Um, the one thing I do know is not going to age well is the fact that this movie was directed by John Lasseter. And written by Joss Whedon. Oh! oh. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about... Wait, was he... Yeah. He was one of the writers. It was uh, Toy Story... Joss Whedon, Andrew Stanton, Joe Cohen. Wait. Of, Not the Cohen brother. Oh, Cohen, okay, okay. The okay. Cheaper by the Dozen Cohen. Okay. And Alec Sokolov, also of Cheaper by the Dozen. Mm-hmm. Man. Ooh, Joss Whedon, another one. Yeah. Whoo. I mean, just a, just a brief summary for people who don't know. John Lasseter and Joss Whedon... Uh, were accused of sexual misconduct. Or I don't know about Josh Sweden if it was sexual, but he was definitely a, a workplace bully. John Lasseter was accused of sexual harassment at Pixar uh, during the Me Too movement back in 2020, 2019, I well, think. Well, he was, he was uh, let go or he resigned or something in, at the end of 2017 and then, you know, thought real hard about his life in 2018 and then landed a job at Skydance in 2019. So he's fine. Yeah. And then Joss Whedon was accused of workplace harassment uh, by a ton of people on his show, Buffy. So much so mm-hmm. that they that there was, I, I guess there was a, a character who was underage. I guess she was under 18. And people said, don't leave her alone with Joss. Michelle, uh, Trrr, she played Dawn, I think. I've never seen the show, so I have no idea. But that was definitely a story that I read. Uh, and there was a ton of other stuff as well. More and more actors have come from that. So I know I am curious to see if maybe some of those personality traits of theirs translated into the film. Do you know, do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, 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 yeah. like maybe not so much, I guess, because there are four screenwriters and, I, and who knows. But I mean, Pixar has been known to add like subtle subliminal messages in some of their films i mean there's a there's a bunch of blog posts about it and stuff with screen caps i'm sure you could find them and mm. so they've been known to do that and i mean you know, i don't know man i mean sometimes what people post on in front of the camera is kind of a reflection of who they are as a person i mean mm-hmm. you know uh joss whedon did he directed age of ultron and he directed uh the reshoots of justice league and they both have the same gag of like the nerdy guy landing on top of this beautiful woman and his face is like in her breast uh did you ever see that uh i've saw i've seen both of those movies yeah in the party at avengers tower bruce banner does it to black widow and barry allen does it to diana wonder woman Mm -hmm. and it's like huh i okay joss you want to recycle the same gag, the same weird one? Okay, sure. I'm just curious to see if maybe some of those things, because this is I'm watching this movie after all those. Yeah, it's definitely like different when it's the first time you're seeing it, and then you know all this stuff than it is when you go back and watch it. Because I think when you go back and watch something you already like, 
you're already trying to justify why it, it's okay. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But if you're watching it the first time, you can't help but see, oh, there's there's something sinister going on here. Absolutely. Um, I was trying to watch that 70s show, but there's this, there's, uh, what's his name? Danny. The guy with the glasses. Danny. Hyde. Hyde. Yeah, Hyde. What, Danny something something. Uh, Matherson, was it? Oh, yeah, you're right. That's his name. Danny Masterson. Masterson. Yeah, so there's there's a segment in that 70s show in the like the first season when he's trying to force a record, an album, like a vinyl into the sleeve of something that's to hide that he's he's showing Fez Black Sabbath or something. And like he's he's miming what the album cover is saying and what the what the vinyl is saying and it's like this is super uncomfortable cuz Wait, I, this guy's. I don't get what I don't uh, get what you're. Well, he's forcing the vinyl into the sleeve of a different album. Okay. And he's he's like, uh, the album cover doesn't want that album inside of it. So, oh, so he's like forcibly trying to put the vinyl into the the, the bag. Yeah, and he's voicing what the album cover is saying and what the what the vinyl is saying. Oh. Okay, now here's how we sneak the devil music past Ozzy and Harry. <laughs> Observe. Alice Cooper, meet Pat Boone. <laughs> Don't resist me, Pat Boone. No, you're hurting me. Come on, take it. No, it hurts. Come on, no. <laughs> and, and I know that guy is a convicted rapist. Yeah. So... It, I just, I'm like, I can't watch this show. Like, I can't unsee him as, as who he is in real life. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Do you think that's going to happen with this movie? I don't think it's going to be to that extent, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but, um, I don't know. It's, it's just a shame that these men did some stupid, horrible things because now it's out there. And now, you know, I mean, I would like to say, I would like to revisit this movie without having, having that with none of that ever happening you know of it being a great workplace where nothing nothing none of that ever happened that's not the reality though the reality Mm -hmm. is that they were a bunch of creeps to a bunch of women and now because i know all of that i'm gonna rewatch toy story and it's gonna be there those like knowing all that is still there and maybe i'll still enjoy this movie but it is going to taint my experience a little bit you know what i mean yeah so it's a fucking shame, but look, we had to bring it up. We got to talk about this, man, you know, just in case for people who don't know, you know, I, I don't know. Some people are always like, you shouldn't talk about that or you should just watch it for the movie. It's like, th- that's what we do on this podcast. Mm-hmm. We're going back and we're, hey, maybe the movie holds up even better. And yeah, maybe John Lathard was a fucking asshole. Uh, but it, it, we got to talk about this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. we can't just ignore it. I am curious to see what it's like with that new perspective. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I remember Toy Story goes into a very dark place with with Woody. I'm kind of curious to see how dark because I'm remembering it. He's trying to kill Buzz. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'm mem- remembering incorrectly. I, he's definitely I, I don't know if kill, but he's definitely trying to get rid of Buzz. Like he straight up is plotting against Buzz. When when, when you're plotting against someone like that's <laughs> serious shit. You know what I mean? Like if I'm making a plot against Austin, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I want to kill the man, but I'm still in a dark place. You know, it's not like. (laughs) 
All right. Um, so when Austin yeah, comes wondering... through the door, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a caca sound, and that's gonna trigger this thing. And no, that's <laughs> and it's gonna knock him out of the window, and everyone's gonna be like, "Oh man, what happened? That it was an act. That right? does happen. <laughs> I'm just trying to remember if that was an accident or if it was intentional. Like if if him part not... of I I think it. I don't know. I still find out, but I I'm I'm curious to see like. If uh, Woody is the villain of this movie, because I th- we all remember Sid as the villain of this movie, right? But <gasps> mm. he doesn't know the toys are alive. He's only the villain if he knows the toys are alive. Mm-hmm. Woody knows they're alive. Yeah. Woody knows that Buzz thinks he's actually a space marine mm. or space explorer. I don't know. I I do remember Woody being kind of psychotic. <laughs> um. Really excited to come back and talk about Toy Story, trying to see whether this movie holds up. I'm sure it will, but and I can't wait to learn more about this movie because, goddamn, yes. I'm sure that this movie is a technical marvel, or it, it may have been back in '95. So I'm really curious mm-hmm. to get into that. So, Austin, will I see you back after the break? Maybe. Of course you will. What, you, what the fuck kind of question is that? I'm just making sure, man. I'm just making sure. I'll be here. Are you the Are you the buzz to my Woody? Wait, I don't know how I, I, I don't I, know how I feel about that. Okay, you know what? It kind of came out a little. You just, <laughs> you, you know what? I have to agree with you. It kind of just came out not as well as I would have hoped. Why are you? Why are you always so gross? Huh, I don't. George? I don't. I didn't try to. That's what the characters are called. <laughs> Jesus. All right. All right. Well, we'll be back after watching Toy Story, and we'll we'll have a guest. Who's our guest? It's gonna be Christopher Mims. He was on our New Year's episode special where we talked about digital filmmaking. It was side by side. And today he's going to be he's going to be on talking about a real movie, talking about just one movie, Toy whoa, Story. Whoa, 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 whoa. Real movie? Not a, okay, you know what I meant. God damn it, Austin. <laughs> no, but he's going to he's going to he's going to we're going to talk about this movie and we're going to break it all down. All right. We will see you in 1 minute. Sergeant? Yes, sir. Establish a recon post downstairs. Code red, repeat. We are at code red. Recon plan, Charlie. Execute. Move, 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 move. It's a... It's a big one. Walt Disney Pictures presents... Star Command, come in. Do you read me? The story of two toys. Ooh. There seems to be no sign of intelligent life anywhere. Hello? Oh, yeah. ah! Headed for a showdown. My name is Woody... This is my spot. I am Buzz Lightyear. I come in peace. You are a child's plaything. You are a sad, strange little man. And playing by their own rules. Draw. Fuck me again. I don't like confrontations. Buzz, look an alien. Where? (laughs) Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. We are back with our guest, Christopher Mims. Or do you go by Chris? Which do you prefer? Um, you know, whatever is easier. You know, people usually prompt for fewer syllables. But if you're ambitious, you can totally call me Christopher. Ooh, no. All right, Chris. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> We're sticking not, with Chris. Not a lot of ambition in this podcast. <laughs> nah, man. The lower the already. syllable count, the better. <laughs> we don't do a lot of reading around here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, originally, you wanted to do District 9, which... I was all for. And then you told George you wanted to do Toy Story instead, mm-hmm. which I'm also down for, obviously. Um, so 
why why did you want to make the change? Well, I was definitely a little worried about that because I listened to your last episode and you guys totally uh, <laughs> talked about District 9. Well, look, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. When we when you guys started this podcast, I think it was in the cards that I was eventually going to do an episode. George initially thought that I would do something like Goodfellas because Goodfellas is another one of my favorite movies and it's a movie that I reference a lot and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I did think about Goodfellas and it was kind of between Goodfellas and Toy Story, but I opted for... <laughs> I, I know that's a pretty wide gap, but, you know, I, I have a breadth of taste that uh, is unmatched. Um, but I ended up going with District 9 because there was one really specific thing I kind of wanted to talk about, District 9. But the other reason was, you know, of all the movies that you guys have done, I think Toy Story and Goodfellas were pretty... Uh, they're they're just they're very they're very well-known movies for being good (laughs) you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so -hmm. there's a lot of information about them already out there um like if you want to know something about goodfellas or toy story like it's very easy to find a very extensive wiki page whereas something like maybe you know labyrinth might be a little more niche and you know uh marissa being an expert is a little harder to find whereas an expert in toy story an expert in Goodfellas is pretty easy. Like, how do I make sure? Because if you're looking at a, a list of retrograde episodes, how do I make sure that when someone clicks on the Goodfellas or Toy Story episode, they get their money's worth? And I wasn't <laughs> sure if I could deliver because, you know, those are those are banger titles. You know what I'm saying? You're looking at a, mm-hmm. a podcast. Well, we don't charge for reviewing. our podcast either. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. But if you were, <laughs> if you were, when someone clicked on the Goodfellas or Toy Story episode, which if they're previewing the podcast, they might even click on just because of those titles. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You got you, yeah. you, you want to come with it, you know? And I didn't have that confidence at first, but after a while, after thinking about it, I was like, okay, I, I, I think I can do Toy Story and make this uh, make this worthwhile and make it a a bit of a, if you're a film person, make it a, a, um, a perspective shifting at the very least conversation. So that's why we're here. On top of the fact that it's one of my earliest favorite movies um, in life, so did, did you yeah. see Toy Story in the theaters? Or I did. no, you were. You I was were probably born, two, right? I was born in uh, 1994, so I was one. Oh wow! So I did not see the first Damn. one I saw in theaters was Toy Story two. That's the one I can physically remember seeing in theaters. But uh, yeah, Toy Story one was VHS all the way. So, what did Toy Story mean to you when you were a child? Well, I think it it meant what a lot of movies uh, mean to children, and that is look at the colors move across the screen. Um, <laughs> the but the thing about Toy Story, I think, which is the part of the brilliance of Toy Story, is that it is the probably I'd say to this day the best toy commercial ever made <laughs> for, for just toys, like buying toys, um, mm. because not only is it uh, are the characters so iconic, and not only like. You know, Mr. Potato had obviously already existed and some other things like that. But Woody and Buzz are just so confidently designed and iconic that not only are you forcing parents to buy these toys because the kid liked the movie, but there's a sense of empathy and sympathy towards toys that the the franchise teaches you that makes yeah. your kid automatically attached to that toy after it's been bought. You know what I'm saying? Like if that toy breaks. And exactly. the toys that you already have. 
Exactly. Jesus. You just want more toys and you want to hoard them and make sure that they're around and all that kind of stuff. So it is. So I think for for me, what it engaged was uh, a sense of empathy, I think, for sure, that I've I've always had. Um, and um, not only that, it was the first movie I, I kind of cared about the story. I used to, uh, as I'm sure a lot of kids did, I used to I, I had almost the entire roster of toys growing up from the Toy Story movie. They're all from all over the place, but I had pretty much the whole roster and I could act out pretty much the entire <laughs> movie with toys, which is what I used to do pretty often. I used to grab like the, you know, the salad tosser thing, the one half yeah. is a spoon and one half is a fork kind of thing. That used to be the claw, you know what I mean? Oh, uh, the I used, claw. I would, yeah, I would act out the entire movie if it wasn't playing a lot of the time. So I think it's it's just, it's it's a perfect children's movie i think and uh and it, i know that's subjective to say but because it was such a phenomenon it's almost not so i think it's nothing super unique but it definitely was the first movie i cared about from a story perspective and a character perspective that i can remember all right um so since you're such an expert on the story of toy story would you like to give a like two to five minute summary of what brief, happens brief in Toy synopsis yeah um well i'll go ahead and preface by it's batshit insane um <laughs> it is the story of an insecure cowboy doll who is the favorite toy um an insecure cowboy doll named woody who's the favorite toy of a very um kind of ambiguous kid named andy he's kind of an every kid um you don't see his face too often and if he's around, you're kind of seeing like his chin down. Um, it's almost a very like uh, peanuts, um, Charlie Brown and the gang situation where you don't never see the adults. Mm-hmm. Um, they just want you to imprint on Ant- on Andy. Um, so it's about the <laughs> Jesus Christ. Now that I think about it. It's about an insecure <laughs> cowboy doll named Woody, who's the favorite toy of this kid named Andy. And because he's the favorite toy, you realize that there's this hierarchy in his room. So with Woody being Andy's favorite, it means that he's in charge of a lot of other bureaucratic aspects of the room. So like the pecking order is Woody and down. So he kind of like has staff meetings with all the rest of the toys. There's like plastic corrosion awareness week, things like that. He helps. Um, he makes sure that people have fresh batteries and that Rex, you know, has a proper roar and all this kind of stuff. And some people are cool with that. Some people aren't like Mr. Potato Head, who's constantly nipping at his at his heels. But there's a hierarchy and what he likes being in charge. And that all comes to a head when on Andy's birthday, um, he gets a new and exciting space toy. And this is a Buzz Lightyear. And Buzz Lightyear, while he is a living toy like the rest of the toys when the kids aren't around, because I guess that's an important factor if you haven't seen the movie, um, the toys can only come alive and interact with each other when no one's around. No human beings can see them. It's kind of like this taboo, unwritten rule. That they never really explain either. No, it's never explained. It's just (laughs) kind of... That's why this movie is so batshit, because... It's taboo that they can't come alive while other humans around, but Buzz still follows this rule even though Buzz... He doesn't think he's a toy. (laughs) He does not believe he's... He's a basket case. He thinks that he is a Buzz Lightyear toy, which is not explained why he of all toys feels this way, but he is under the impression that he has crash-landed on a strange planet and he needs to get back to Star Command, which is the lore of his character in this universe. It's basically Um, the same as Star Wars. 
Yeah, it's it's a Star Wars parody, exactly. He is trying to get home, but he inadvertently becomes Andy's new favorite toy. Now, has Andy completely abandoned Woody? No, but that's the way Woody sees it. The rest of the toys are kind of taunting him, and the pecking order shifts. So all the toys are looking up to Buzz now, but Buzz barely kind of acknowledges their existence. He's just trying to leave as soon as he can. Um, oh, he helps uh, Rex with his roar and everything. Yeah, he, I'm, but he's kind of like he's a he's a tourist. You know, he mm-hmm. doesn't actually want any leadership or power or to like mm-hmm. hold Plastic Corrosion Awareness Month. He's just there because these guys are nice and they're gonna help him rebuild his spaceship, which is a cardboard box, so he can get <laughs> back to Star Command. Meanwhile, Woody is stewing, and things come to a head once again when uh, this is all under the context that uh, the family is moving. They're about to leave, and there's this rambunctious boy next door who blows up toys (laughs) and just absolutely massacres them named Sid. Um, And every day, every other day they watch in horror as Sid sticks, uh, puts a stick of dynamite on a a combat Carl toy and blows it to smithereens. So they're about to leave. They're going to get away from this kid. They're going to live happily ever after with Andy. But Woody just can't get over the fact that he's not Andy's favorite toy anymore. So on one of the final nights before the move, they're going to go to this Chuck E. Cheese-esque place named Pizza Planet. And obviously, Andy right now, he's in love with his space toy. He wants to take Buzz. Woody says no. He's not taking Buzz tonight. (laughs) And in an effort to knock Buzz behind a desk, um, he accidentally knocks Buzz out of the window of the room, causing him to fall like two stories and out of everyone's sight. So Andy takes Woody after the toys have discovered what Woody has done and basically want to kill him. <laughs> they, they, they're going to hang him. Uh, but Andy comes in time. <laughs> Andy comes in time and takes Woody and Buzz hops in the car when no one's looking. And they confront each other. And after a big fight between Woody and Buzz, they fall out of the car and Andy and his mom leave. So they are two lost toys. And so the rest of the movie is essentially Woody and Buzz, now being mortal enemies, have to come together uh, to get back to Andy's room before the move. And in another shoestring of events, they end up in Sid's house, kind of their worst nightmare. And um, all this weird The Shining stuff happens in that in the house. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, eventually they're able to bond. Woody is able to... <laughs> unlock Buzz's psychological shackles of being a real person rather than a toy. And they have to work together uh, to basically get back to Andy's room before the move happens. And once they make it as they do, um, they're much closer and seem like they're going to be able to live in harmony in the room uh, from there on out. Uh, So yeah, that's the... uh... (laughs) Jesus Christ. That's the gist of Toy Story, man. Can can I just say, like... I can imagine like the people, the writers, right? Telling the, the animators of Pixar, like giving them this synopsis and them just being like, what the fuck is this movie? What the <laughs> hell? <laughs> oh yeah, we're gonna have, you know, this guy's gonna stick dynamite on these anim- on these toys and there's gonna be a dog and then it, there's gonna be a doll party. And it's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> well, interestingly enough, um, Toy Story, actually was supposed to be even edgier and weirder than yeah this. oh yeah the studio uh-huh. actually wanted a lot of edge and when they first storyboarded the entire movie woody was woody the villain was pretty <laughs> much to- woody is still the villain of this movie for sure mm-hmm. but they did a very good job of making him likable um even and and not only that but you kind of sympathize with the fact that 
he was you replaced. know he's losing his position of power he's been replaced and not only that the other toys rag the shit out of what he's oh potato head's a number dick. one anymore well potato, potato head, head is like and... the villain in all of all of andy's like play play times. yeah and no, he's always he gets, the villain him and ham and he gets um, thrown into like the hit with his baby sister yeah <laughs> right at the end of playtime so that can't be good for his self-esteem yeah. <laughs> but they did a good job of balancing woody out but initially yeah. woody was so he was yeah he was pretty much totally unlikable made a lot of adult jokes um, berates and poor silk uh slinky dog have you seen the black friday reel the black friday reel no oh man they they actually have tom hanks's voice saying all these terrible things to slinky <laughs> Oh, you can probably find a clip of it on YouTube. Okay, now this is the reel that we showed on Black Friday before we re envision Woody's character. It's um, it's bad, you know, <laughs> it's really bad. Um, it's kind of rough to watch these days, but I hate for history's sake, I think it's important to see, you know. Um, so uh, this takes place right before they go to Pizza Planet. And all of the other toys are placing bets is to 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 see who Andy's gonna take, either Woody or Buzz Lightyear. Off the bat! You gonna make us Woody? No. He is. Slinky! Slink Slink Slinky! Get up here and do your job! Are you deaf? I said take care of them! Uh, I'm sorry, Woody, but I have to agree with them. I don't think what you did was uh, right. What? Am I hearing correctly? You don't think I was right? Who said your job was to think, Spring Wiener? Well, I, I just, just thought Just use you, this vast uh, reserve of brain power to consider this for a moment. If it wasn't for me, Andy wouldn't pay any attention to you at all. In fact, my stretchy friend, you would have been hauled away to Goodwill a long time ago. So shut your mouth and get them off the bed. Do it. Now, Slink, or I'm throwing you off. You're going to have to. So to the, to the viewers out there, we watched Toy Story, but we also watched the uh, a film by Leslie Iwerks, a documentary about the creation of Pixar, the company. It's called The Pixar Story, right? And it kind of details the, the creation of the company, and they go into detail uh, about the making of Toy Story, which is where we heard this story about Toy Story being edgier at the request of Jeffrey Katzenberg. Do you guys know who Jeffrey Katzenberg is, by the way? A uh, producer who I went mean, to yeah, DreamWorks, I... I think? No, no, no. I don't know about DreamWorks, but his name sounded familiar. I Googled him. He was the founder of Quibi. There was this desire at Disney to make Toy Story edgy. Make it edgy. Make it like something for adults. Jeffrey Katzenberg, who at the time was was chairman of the Disney Studios and had great interest in animation, um, would always, in a story meeting, be pushing for ed what he called edge, which really was code for snappy, adult, the edge of being inappropriate, and not to feel too young. We were Nothing of it was working. It wasn't funny, it wasn't emotional, it wasn't moving. Characters didn't quite work which led to this horrible, horrible day when things came to a crashing halt. That was our Black Friday, Black Monday, Black Tuesday. I forget what day of the week it was, but it was sure black. Hey, you want to be Mr. Mashed Potato Head? You button your lip. Nobody's getting replaced. That resulted in the Woody character being one of the most repellent things you've ever seen on screen. I mean, you couldn't watch it. It was smart alecky. Um, it was it, like a brand of insult humor. It was kind of like, 
negative. Uh, all right, that's enough. You're all acting like you've never seen a new toy before. Get a grip, okay? Jeffrey said, well, why is this so terrible? I said, well, because it's not their movie anymore. We've, it's completely not the movie that John set out to make. Oh. <laughs> Yep. So this guy's oh. been this guy's been hitting home runs with his decisions for years. This, <laughs> he was, before guy, that, he was the co-founder of DreamWorks. Eh. Uh, Dream jerks, <laughs> as Disney like to call them. Goddamn, this man. I mean, look. Aside from DreamWorks, goddamn, that Toy Story decision was stupid. No, this movie went. This movie went through a really strange process, a creation process. Well, yeah, uh, absolutely, and that's another reason why I wanted to talk about it because. You know, arguably, this is one of the most important movies that have been made in general, or at least the last hundred years. Um, just so much had to go in from a technological and creative creativity standpoint. And not only that, it all had to happen at like the right time mm-hmm. for like animation to become a thing. Like before Toy Story was all 2D. Mm-hmm. Everything was 2D. People didn't even really know what computers were or how it could affect art. Like I think... Obviously, uh, people had been doing some special effects, but as far as um, animators taking it and it being more than 3D thing in a in a 3D world uh, or a a real world like the the stained glass man and all that kind of stuff or Tron, this was a huge experiment that was gonna if it didn't work out the way it did was gonna cost way more money than it was ever gonna make uh, make back. So it's just a really important movie and I think also stands as a testament to what filmmaking is and potentially what the future of filmmaking is going to be. Not that it's in animation, but what it looks like when we're on the verge of something new in this medium. And I think there's a lot to learn from from Toy Story specifically um, and it's in its creation and the way it was executed on on kind of like what that means for I think the future of filmmaking, to be honest. But like this movie, this movie itself only had a budget of 30 million. But I don't know if that reflects the process of getting the software to be at the level it was to do a feature length 3D animated movie. Yeah. No, if you if you were to account all of the R&D that built Pixar, it it's way more than 32 million. And and another thing you have to or 30 th- million. Another thing you have to take into account is that while they had a, a they had a a lot of people working on this movie, it was not that many when you really think about it. I mean, you look at the credits for Toy Story Four; it is a huge list. You have so many people who are who worked on that film. The credits for this movie aren't as big, so you're you have to say you have to think that every person worked a tremendous amount of hours. Like every person, the workload that every person had was huge. Yeah, there that was something that kind of bugged me in the doc, the documentary that we watched before this. Uh, I think it was Brad Bird that said, "Films are forever, pain is temporary," which it kind of romanticizes this like you got to work, 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 work until you die. You know, that's what's expected of people working in the film industry to be like this John Henry just doing these impossible tasks and sleeping in your car and doing all this shit to get your movie made that you don't even have the rights for when you finish it. It is this romanticization, that word, uh, of (laughs) of working hard. And we're still seeing the effects of that. We're still seeing that mindset today. I-A-S-T-E strike? No, no, the I-A-T-S-E. Okay. They're, They're prepared to go into a strike right now in the film industry. The laborers, grips, gaffers, 
PA's assistants, they're all ready to go on strike because of how many hours is asked of them to work. I mean, in the film industry, you're working 10 to 15 hours like regularly, not even tens on the lower end, 15 yeah. hour work days, and you're getting paid minimum wage, if that. And you're not, sometimes they're not being fairly compensated for overtime. They're being asked to waive fees. It's, it's, hor it's horrible stuff. And it's like, well, it's for the art. It's for the, it's for the, the success. And it's like, motherfucker, you're going to get the success because you're the director. You're the producer. Yeah. When you get an when when this movie wins an Oscar, if it wins an Oscar, you're the one gonna go on the stage. After after this movie's done, I'm hopping onto another film, and that's another 15 hour workday for God knows how many months. Mm -hmm. It's and we're also seeing it in the video game industry as well uh, with crunch. That's the yeah. word that's been tossed around. Crutch. It really started with Red Dead Redemption Two when they interviewed Dan Hauser, and he's like, "Oh, we work, we work so much, so many hours." And it's like, well, yeah, you're going to get the credit, but mm -hmm. everyone else is. And you're just they're working, you know, they're not getting they're not winning the awards. They're not going to the BAFTAs, you know, and then Naughty Dog. And then all it's just been a chain of just like crunch. Well, I think I think we can stay on this for a little while longer because I could I as far as um the kind of point I wanted to make about Toy Story and its creation uh, ties into this, I think. And that's a matter of sustainability, right? So you have um, this smaller crew working on Toy Story. And a lot of these guys, at least according to the documentary, there's two reasons why there was a small crew. A, probably for, for some budgeting reason uh, that we don't know about. And B, because they were breaking new ground, there just weren't any experts in this field. Like they were kind of swinging for the fences. Like you just kind of get an expert who knows how to do like programming and you get this animator and like maybe they can make this work. Um, so there just weren't a lot of, there wasn't a huge pool, I think of people that they could have pulled from at this time. Um, and not only that, uh, with whenever you're doing, cause there is a romanticization about all of the work that you put in to make something really great, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that there are times, especially in an artist's life, whether that is, you know, you're painting or you're making a program like some of the people were do at a Naughty Dog or did with Toy Story on how to get graphics in the computer and just teaching what it is to use a computer in this art form to anyone. That there are going to be times where you're going to get fulfillment out of putting in that extra work um, mm -hmm. that you can't sleep unless you've you finished. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that that can work sometimes in a vacuum. The problem with it. And I think that we're, as humans, we're always going to hit those periods in our lives. And that this is just, you know, this is even double down for creatives, I think. But I think even people who aren't creatives, eventually you're going to have that project or that thing you're really passionate about that you can't sleep until you've finished doing it or hitting a certain milestone. And I think as humans, that's how we push ourselves to, you know, make that great thing or push, you know, a break ground somewhere um, or make something that everyone's going to benefit from or enjoy. The problem, like I said, is uh, <laughs> capitalism <laughs> and sustainability. <Yeah. laughs> so they make this miracle of a movie that is Toy Story. And, you know, you guess what the studio wants again? They want another miracle. 
<laughs> can you do it next year again? Can you do it again if we give you more money and maybe a few more people? Not understanding or being neglectful of the, the main thing that got this done, which is a lot of people working overtime, a lot of people having to find inspiration at 3 a.m. You know what I mean? That hmm. cannot be replicated on a mass scale every year. Whether that's making a movie, whether it's animated or a live action, whether it's making a game, um, whether it's really anything. Human inspiration just doesn't work like that. But once you're in a system, a production pipeline for anything, that miracle becomes something you have to start quantifying and promising on either an annual basis or a quarterly basis or five-year basis. And I think that's when things get dicey. I think that a situation with Toy Story as far as a technology moving in a certain way to create something truly different within a medium, it's going to happen again. A group of really passionate people are going to find a piece of technology and they're going to do something really amazing and it's gonna, they're going to break their backs doing it. The problem is once they do it, are we going to ask them to do it again too soon because we're trying to either capitalize on it or find the next thing, next thing too soon? I think that's where the problem with just industry in general lies. Yeah. Um, and that's why someone like Brad Bird can say that because he's got enough power as a you know an acclaimed director. And I'm sure he's been through the mud a few times when he was younger and didn't have as much influence. But now that he does, he can take a step back and say, you know what? I understand that when I put in my work that, you know what I mean? It's this romanticized version of it. But that's not for everyone, obviously, like you guys just mm -hmm. mentioned. There's a lot of people in the trenches just trying to do what they got to do until they become Brad Bird. But Brad Bird can take a break when he wants and then come and do Mission Impossible when he's ready to, <laughs> to die on the floor again. You know what I'm saying? No, absolutely. So I, I, I think um, I don't think it's an issue per se within itself. And I think it's going to happen again. And thank God it happened to make Toy Story because I wouldn't be in this chat with you guys if it wasn't for that fucking movie. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have pursued filmmaking if I didn't fall in love with that movie so much. So, you know, thank God those guys broke their backs and hopefully a lot of them are proud of the fact that they did it and would do it again if given the opportunity. But is it sustainable? No. Should it be done every year? Absolutely not. <laughs> and should people be adequately paid if they're going to do it? For sure. So strike away. It was really great watching Toy Story and the doc back to back because it, Number one, I, I, I think Toy Story 1 is great. I love the movie. I think it holds up really well. I still love it. Uh, and I have so what much- What do you love so much about it? I, I, the story is what, I'm, is what I was genuinely surprised about, or the structure of it. Because they, remember when we were talking about, uh, oh, what's that, what was that war movie that we did? Um, the, 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 the Russian oh, tank the, one. The Beast. The Beast. The Beast of War. Yeah, when we were talking about that, when we recorded that episode, we were talking about how the movie set up and paid off a lot of different things, right? From the very beginning to the ending, it, and some small little things, some arcs. This movie does that, and in a way, it does it even better. Like, it does it moment to moment, and it does it in the grander story, in the grander themes, right? I mean, the, the very beginning of the film, you have but trying to fly. It looks like he does, but he's not really. Uh, and by the very end, he is uh, falling with style. You know, the same thing. Yeah, like thing. Uh, Woody, Woody calls, he's, that's not flying, that's falling with style. But at the very end, that has a very different meaning, especially with where they're at in their relationship. And the movie constantly does that. Something I was surprised with, it's even small little things. When Buzz tries to fly in Sid's house, he looks at the window and he jumps and he falls, right? Uh, yeah. When Buzz 
is telling the Woody that he tried flying, but he fell and he points at the window. That gives Woody the idea to use the window to get to Andy's house. I'm like, that, it's a very simple thing, but it's like, oh, it all kind of ties in together really well. And the movie is littered with things like that. So it just feels like you're watching something that is very cohesive, something that was very planned and detailed out. It's like, okay, this this leads over this and this is going to go into this and ba 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 ba. It feels nice and tight. And at 80 minutes... This is a well-paced movie. It 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 does not feel 80 minutes. It feels just like an hour. And it's like, wow, I watched something really good. And, oh, look, I still have time in my day. It's a very, and this is one of the reasons, like, like I said, when I was a kid, I liked it, right? But I continued to like it as I grew up. I always have revisited this movie. And um, I thought two was amazing. I, I still consider this, this franchise a trilogy more than, you know, counting so toy story 4 is almost like a short film like a like an aside like a christmas special in my mind damn um, what a diss yeah i mean that's it's a just hot not, take god damn it's just not really relevant to anything <laughs> if that makes sense i think george disagrees yeah, i disagree very it, much but that that's a conversation yeah. for another time <laughs> <laughs> but for how much of a gamble all of the, or at least the first two Toy Story movies were. And I assume Toy Story 3 was a gamble too, because it took, it, you know, they obviously made it at a point in time. It, it took a long time for them to make it, to finally make it. And when it came out, it came out, I think, at a very special time. Um, so I think there was a gamble as to whether or not it was going to hit the way it was supposed to hit. But for as shaky as the development for all three of these movies have been, I will stand by not counting for that this is probably, in my opinion, one of, if not the only perfect trilogy of movies that exist. Thank you, Christopher um, that's, what, that's what George said, too. I it, 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 franchises, dog, franchises have terrible batting averages. All of your favorite franchises probably fucked up the second, third, and definitely fucked up the fourth and fifth movies. Um, <laughs> but this one just hits. They're just very confident films, which you wouldn't expect after watching the documentary. Um, because they were just so shaky to make. But like you said, George, the iconography, the way that they deal with setup and payoffs, and the fact that honestly, they don't really have two very likable main characters. I mean, one's a basket case and one is extremely self-conscious. And you still like the they're way really funny, that- They're really funny though. They're really funny, exactly. <laughs> um, it's just, the thing is, even though they didn't know what this, was, this movie was gonna look like all the way through, they had- I don't know, I guess these guys just knew what these characters were going to be and how they were going to play because the jokes hit, they land, everything that they do is kind of in character. And even though you have these two people who are polar opposites and don't really, really do anything redeeming until like the very last act. Like Woody is kind of terrible throughout the movie, isn't he? Yeah, Yeah. and Buzz is just stupid. He's just manipulated pretty much at every turn. And it's, um, I don't. I don't know if it's really his fault, though. No, it's not. It's built into this innate. I don't know. He's programmed to be this way. It's what? really not until two and three they become they're heroes of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just very confident, and you don't. I, you know, with a lot of movies, especially franchise movies, unless and even when they have the same directors, it just feels like there's a, a lack of confidence. I feel that they can either one up. Um, or really truly build out a universe it's either that or you know they don't care about the audience at this point they're making it for them Mm -hmm. um and for whatever reason with toy story well not for whatever reason i think i know why but there is a through line of 
character development between all three movies that makes sense. And it pays off in a big way in three when they finally deal with this existential crisis that they've been building since the first movie, which is what mm-hmm. happens when a kid doesn't need you anymore. Yeah. yeah. What happens when you get lost? What happens when you get thrown away? They face all of their worst fears that are set up in three, are, are set up in one uh, that happened in three and two, which you know starts with Woody having a crisis that he's lost and continues into two when he falls in, he has that weird dream sequence where he falls into a garbage can of like disemboweled <laughs> toys. I don't want to play with um, you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just think that this film um, is going to stand the test of time as far as um, from a technical standpoint, from a script writing standpoint, and just from like how to entertain an audience and do it in a way because this is this is the blueprint. This is like Iron Man one for yeah. MCU. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've come a long way for, for we've come a long way for three D animation. That's oh, that's one thing I noticed. Like, there's a lot of shots in this movie where like nothing is moving, and the yeah. rooms are all really basic. There's not a lot of hair or fabric on anything except for the blanket on the bed. The way <laughs> they didn't figure that shit out till Monsters Inc. <laughs> yeah, the way Scud runs. Oh, Scud is a so whole bad. other thing. <laughs> so, so Scud, bad. I feel like they did they were ambitious and included a dog, but they did not know how to make a dog. Yeah. So I think that they overcompensated with two <laughs> and like had a whole scene with Buster. You know what I mean? Mm. Just to say, fuck you, we can do a dog. Yeah. <laughs> but even I mean, you no, you're right, Austin. I mean, these Pixar movies have look look better now than they ever have before i mean you oh yeah there have been people who i remember there was a screenshot of the incredibles 2 and someone zoomed all the way in and you could see the pieces of fabric on his shirt and how they have little bits of linen coming off of it and it's like you don't need that amount of detail but pixar was it makes like, the world so much richer because yeah, i don't I think mean, anything about toy story like that's the reason why I think it holds up so well is because of the story and the characters. The technology was just a means to an end. There's nothing incredibly impressive about the technology. Like they didn't use the the technology of 3D animation in a way that only could be done with 3D animation. Does that I make disagree. Sense? I, I see what you're saying. I disagree though. Um, I do think that the 3D adds a lot of value um, to this because I think because they're toys. Yes. Um, I think if it was animated, they'd just be another cartoon character. Mm. But selling the fact that these are like made of different materials, you know what I mean? Buzz is plastic, Woody is linen, um, and they're all like just different. That this feeling that you could reach out into the screen and pick them up, which at the time as a kid, I mean, that's the you only thing could. you want to do is reach through, <laughs> yeah, is reach through the screen and pick up one of these toys. I think that's why it's so brilliant that they decided to use toys instead of like humans as the the focal point. It lends of, itself uh, to the technology, like the limits yeah. of their technology. You don't have to animate a bunch of different faces. Right, right. But in a smart way, because it's like technically Woody and Buzz are humanoid people mm-hmm. you know what i mean they all like, got they, like smooth um textures and stuff yeah but you don't have you're not um you're not beholden to all of the quirks of an actual human face because they are yeah. technically cartoon people they're, they're miniaturized cartoon people yeah um so i think it was really smart i think it does serve the medium very very well so i think that you know this movie is definitely going to stand the test of time from a even I, I think a technological standpoint but 
I mean, this is the blueprint for all for all Pixar movies, like from here. Like that that's the meme, right? Is that all Pixar movies? Like, what if we gave toys feelings? What if we gave feelings feelings? What if we gave fish feelings? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, just let's take anything that's not humans until soul, basically. Yeah, and give, it, give them feelings. Oh yeah, yeah I incredible. guess you're right. Incredibles. Well, that I think this was a uh, lightning in a bottle situation because you have new technology and you're trying to find a story that's appropriate, right? Like you're trying to find a story where the technology can fit in, where you have limitations, but you don't want to show the limitations, right? Unless you have a really keen eye, like Scud, for example. But I think something that Pixar did that was really incredible, watching the doc, it made me realize their first like five films really weren't about people. In fact, people were either not shown or like concealed in a clever way. Like Andy, yeah. we see him in a few close-ups, but for the most part, we just see them very high up above that camera. And in the next one, A Bug's Life, it's about bugs. Third one was uh, Monster, or no, Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo. Pixar was really showing new story, like new stories that we hadn't seen before and showing them in a really entertaining way. For example, we, I mean, as far as I know, what movie was really about bugs? I mean, I think Ants came out the same year. Same year. Same year. <laughs> but, you know. Pixar started with toys and then we're going to give bugs a perspective and then we're going to give fish. They focus so much on creating characters that weren't human and we empathize with those creatures so much. I, I, I think it was like showing audiences things that they haven't seen before, especially with new technology. I think that was a huge appeal of Pixar because, wow, what's it like being a bug? You know, and when you go into Bug City, it's like, oh, my God, it's like down. It's like downtown New York. You know, or Toy Story. It's like, oh my God, they're they're pretending to be toys when they're humans are. Same thing with Finding Nemo. I I think that was something really really smart on Pixar, until you know eventually The Incredibles, which even then they found a way to make that story a story about humans a banger. Yeah, they made a good Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, they did. Yeah, <laughs> the same year the Fantastic Four movie came out. Oh, was it really? I yeah, it's either it's wow. within a year. No, 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 no. Uh, Four, if anything, Incredibles came out 2004 i believe and fantastic four came out in 2005 but yeah Jesus. I, like i knew it was close because i remember seeing commercials around the same time for both of them and honestly i wanted to support the fantastic four movie because i saw the powers and i was like wow they really just ripped the shit out of fantastic four i i can't i can't i can't i can't support this i can't support this tomfoolery and then i saw the movie and i was like damn this shit is so much better than the Fantastic Four. <laughs> <laughs> I can't lie. But yeah, it's just, it's better. They just, they understand story over there. And I think that, you know, while that is the heart of right, any, or most, I'd say, filmmaking endeavors is good storytelling, unless you're truly doing something, you know, artistic and it's just a visual poem type of thing. There's just a lot to to learn from the blueprint of Toy Story. And I think that's gonna, that's gonna be, 10 years from now that's gonna be 50 years from now that's gonna be 100 years from now and not only that but i think it also the creation and execution of toy story and the years that it took to finally get to being able to produce toy story is such a a good look into what maybe the next thing for filmmaking is because you know we're we've been pushing this medium for a really long time i mean filmmaking is a pretty young medium for art in in the grand scale of things but we've been pushing it 
for a long time. And I think with a lot of art forms, and this has happened with music, this has happened with sculpting, painting, you name it, whatever it is, it happens. There comes to a point where the peak or arguably the peak of any art form is when the maximum amount of creativity is also the maximum amount of engagement with the audience in which like doing something new and exciting, something that people have never seen before is also the thing that is mass appeal. Like everyone likes it. And I think that with filmmaking, we passed that point a little bit. People who are doing really cool things with filmmaking and really pushing the medium from a subjective standpoint, obviously, and even sometimes objectively is not what the mass audience wants to see all the time. It's the same thing when you look at like rock and roll, right? Like there was a time when it was niche and people were doing really cool things. And then, you know, MTV happened and now people only want to listen to old rock or you have a bunch of new people who are kind of on the more commercial wave and listen to the Jonas Brothers. So I think that's happening with film. And the thing about watching Toy Story from a perspective of it was made in the 90s and it took all of this to make it is that eventually something will come from film that is new. Another Toy Story will happen. Someone will tell a story that's using more than just a camera, that's using more than just actors, that's using more than just talent. Like it will feel new. And I think looking at Toy Story and the way that was made is if you're into that, if you're a filmmaker who's not just trying to use the tools that are available to them, that's looking towards the future of like what this medium has to offer and how to make something not only new and exciting for critics, but also for like everyone to enjoy, to make them not just want to see the next installation of the MCU. You got, I think looking at Toy Story is just a really good example of how to execute on a story really well and do it in a new medium. Uh, because it's gonna, I think it's gonna happen soon, to be honest. I think we've been riding kind of a standard wave for a while and kind of returning to the well with a lot of these things is what a lot of filmmakers are gonna do or budding filmmakers are gonna have to do if they don't wanna just be on board to direct the next Marvel film, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, that's why, as far as a retrograde perspective, this is, a as for me, it's a 10 out of 10. Like, if you're trying to watch old movies and you want to do something new in the future, you got to watch Toy Story and probably watch the <laughs> Pixar story as well. I mean, there's just no way around it. This movie just isn't going to age that poorly. I, I just don't see it aging that poorly. That's a good point that the next, that there is something, there's always something that's going to come out new. Maybe it's not a film thing. It's maybe an evolution of that, but there is that to look forward to. Um, and watching the doc, seeing how they were committed to this vision was really inspiring. It's it's bittersweet because, yeah, you're seeing the death of 2D animation, but you're seeing the birth of something new. And, I mean, look at how much great stuff has come from 3D animation, not just from Pixar. It's, it is a new, it is a new world that they made, and it's really cool. So, you know, and that's art. Like, that's any art form. Like I said, this film is new. And, like I said, in the grand scheme of things, we'll be doing this for like a hundred years now, a little over a hundred years, a maybe. Over, yeah. Um. So there's still a lot of iteration with this medium to happen. I mean, in the grand scheme, if the if the if the Earth is still around, the time that film actually happened on film is gonna be like a speck in the grand timeline of this medium. Yeah. So that's why I think this movie is important, and the making of it is important. And if you're gonna be a filmmaker you got to watch Toy Story. Yeah. We've kind of done this a little backwards because we usually talk about the story first, then we talk about the, the behind the scenes and stuff. But I I do like kind of how the conversation flowed. 
let's talk a little bit about the. I I I knew it probably wouldn't be behind the scenes because, like I said, you can find behind the scenes. It, it ain't hard to find behind the scenes on Toy Story. Well, there's but a. Do- I think if. The, and there's a doc. Yeah, the the doc is on Netflix. Oh, also, we never said this, but Toy Story is available on Disney Plus uh, for you guys who mm-hmm. want to rewatch it, or you have it on VHS or DVD or Blu-ray. Um, but the doc as well is on Netflix. You could easily watch it. Both are Toy Story is 120 or an hour and 20 minutes. The doc is an hour and 30. You watch those two together. You got a three hour little marathon on on Toy Story and the creation of it, which is great. It's a good three hours spent. Um, let's talk a little bit about the story and things that held up and didn't hold up. Um, well, Austin. What did you what did you think overall rewatching this movie? Like how do you feel? Um it definitely made me laugh still. There's stuff that I laughed at this time around that I didn't laugh at before. Um I remember when we were you remember when we were going into this episode and I'm like this movie paints Sid out to be the villain but he's really not the villain. It's Woody. And there's this part where Buzz is they're showing Buzz who uh Sid is and he's looking through the binoculars. You mean and that he, happy child? You mean that happy child? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I was I was dying so at that. So funny. That's probably gonna be. <laughs> that my ain't quote. no happy child. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So, and one thing that kind of solidifies that Woody's the villain of this movie is that he never really approaches any kind of conflict or I guess conflict with any kind of honesty his default is always to lie and to trick people at the very beginning when they're talking about the birthday party and their toys are worried about being replaced Woody doesn't worry about it because he's Andy's favorite toy he sleeps in Andy's bed Andy dresses like Woody so he's like no no one's getting replaced you're you're fine relax he's not being very honest there (laughs) um and then when Buzz he's worried about Buzz taking his spot to go to pizza planet he forces rc to like drive into him and knock him off the edge yeah uh and then accidentally knocks him out the window and doesn't own up to it rc has to tell everybody (laughs) what he did it's like i don't know morse code tire screeching i don't know how he communicates they understand it's kind of like a like a um a parody of like a dog yeah what was it there's a fire over by the thing (laughs) (laughs) it's like clearly he's not saying anything but yeah yeah for whatever reason they can understand and then when the when the toys they see that woody's in sid's house you know, instead of saying Buzz has an emotional crisis right now, <laughs> That's, he, oh, he man, just that found out instead of instead of saying that he takes Buzz's arm that's been dislocated from the fall and starts like talking for Buzz and like waving. <gasps> Pantomiming. Yeah, that was <laughs> so the awkward. stupidest part it's of the movie. It's so good. <laughs> it's so funny. That was a desperate cowboy. But he's he's like this throughout the movie. And I don't think he ever learns his lesson. Because at the very end, how do they escape Sid's house? They don't tell him, hey, we're alive and you're hurting us. No, he traumatizes this kid. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, look, okay. What you're saying, okay, you said something that in the first part that I, I, you changed my mind about. Uh, because you said Sid doesn't know that these toys are alive. So he doesn't know what he's doing. Which is, okay, fair enough. Woody knows that toys are sentient beings. And hurting one of them, you're actually hurting someone, but he still does it. Sid doesn't understand that. So he doesn't understand the repercussions of sticking dynamite to one. 
But Sid is a piece of shit still. Look at the he's way a he's a piece of shit to his sister. Yeah, he's, he's a, a piece of shit to his sister. But I feel like and he loves Pop Tarts. We've been pieces of shit to our sisters. I'll tell you what, I've never played surgery <laughs> with my sister's dog. <laughs> Sid Sid is Sid is painted out to be a sadistic person in general. There's cans of soda all over his room. He's clearly a chaotic person. Now, is he a preteen going through a phase? Perhaps. It's not all on him. And he could grow out of this. But I do think that they are trying to teach a very kind of fairy tale-esque lesson to kids about just empathy in general. Like you you don't need to be Sid to have a good time. You don't need to mistreat your sister and mistreat items and just get off on being destructive because you never know what repercussions that might have is it going to be a talking toy no but (laughs) something you don't (laughs) expect is going to teach you that you cannot be a sociopath yeah i think that's what sid is supposed to represent i do think that what he goes through and i i think that pixar actually sometimes gets too heavy-handed in this um, with their following movies is that Woody does go through a change. It's definitely more subtle and it's on, really only in one or two big emotional moments. But he does come to the point where he understands that he he understands his own self-consciousness and actually like like wants to die. <laughs> like he tells Buzz he should be strapped to a rocket. It's like, <laughs> Jesus, that's the only thing that's able to turn Buzz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get over here and see if you can get this toolbox off me. Oh, come on, Buzz. I... Buzz, I can't do this without you. I need your help. I can't help. I can't help anyone. Well, sure you can, Buzz. You can get me out of here, and then I'll get that rocket off you, and we'll make a break for Andy's house. Andy's house? Sid's house? What's the difference? Oh, Buzz. You've had a big fall. You must not be thinking clearly. No, Woody. For the first time, I am thinking clearly. You were right all along. I'm not a space ranger. I'm just a toy, a stupid little insignificant toy. Whoa, hey, wait a minute. Being a toy is a lot better than being a a space ranger. Yeah, right. No, it is. Look, over in that house is a kid who thinks you are the greatest. And it's not because you're a space ranger, pal. It's because you're a toy. You are his But why would Andy want me? Why would Andy want you? Look at you! You're a Buzz Lightyear! Any other toy would give up his moving parts just to be you. You've got wings! You glow in the dark! You talk! Your helmet does that, that, that whoosh thing! You are a cool toy! As a matter of fact, you're too cool. I mean... I mean, what chance does a toy like me have against a Buzz Lightyear action figure? All I can do is... There's a snake in my boots! Why would Andy ever want to play with me when he's got you? I'm the one that should be strapped to that rocket. Um, like, he totally is able to... That's emotionally manipulative. I mean, no, I think Woody does genuinely understand that without... He's he's able to internalize the fact that without Andy, not necessarily that he's worthless, but that he has put so much of his worth into what other people think about him, that if he gets rid of that, that he doesn't mean anything to any... He should just be dead. But that's not true. He learns that he is a leader... 
that he can plan, that he can make things better for other people. He doesn't have to just be a middle management personality <laughs> to make things better for people's lives. He doesn't have to just schedule plastic corrosion awareness and change everyone's batteries and then belittle them in order to be a good person. He can find these like mistreated, miscreant toys and like make their situation better. Even if it means breaking rules, even if it means maybe not making it to Andy's on time, that he's good at this, that he does can be selfless and, and that that mm. means something. He does hop off of Andy's truck to go help Buzz out the fence. I mean, yeah, out the fence and like, <laughs> I mean, he's still kind of a dick, obviously, but when he doesn't see RC in that first box, he oh, shoves yeah. he the shoves. shit out of those toys out the way. <laughs> and then way. he tosses RC out. <laughs> he doesn't the... <laughs> even explain anything. He's just, I don't even see you guys. I gotta yeah. like save Buzz. Well, you know that's the I mean? thing. If your friend is in trouble, if a dog is attacking your friend and, and that dog is like twice its size, you're like, fuck it. I just got to move, you know, and and that's and I think one of the scenes that really turned me around on Woody, because he is kind of like, oh, man, you're, you're kind of being shitty. Is that scene where he's under the crate and he says he says that line, you're too cool of a toy. He's always had this underlying fear and it came true that he was going to be replaced. And it's always been there. And while he wants to play himself as the guy at the top of the pecking order, it was inevitable that there was going to be another toy that was going to come in and have its own uh, push voice command where, compared to Woody's <laughs> string. Ar Woody's archaic. Yeah, his voice box sounds like a car ran over it. <laughs> <laughs> we could bag on Woody all we want, but it's a character arc. And it's a good one at that because personally, I really believed that he went through a change when, when, uh, when he when he's trying to save Buzz uh, at the truck at the end, and when they're flying and he embraces Buzz Light uh, Buzz Lightyear's catchphrase to infinity and beyond. It is a cathartic moment where you're like, wow, okay, this feels great. They, these mm -hmm. guys have bonded. It doesn't feel like they're doing any cheap tricks or anything. It feels like these two toys, these two animated toys, <laughs> have actually bonded. And you've seen them grow. And I love that. Like, Woody can be a piece of shit. That's okay for him to start off that way. But can you transform him into something more? And can you do it believably? That's where the trick comes in. And I bought it all the way through. Now, granted, he does do you sound like things. Slinky Dog. <laughs> oh, I, nah, man. Slinky Come Dog. Come on, was... guys. We got trusted Woody. <laughs> Never doubted you for a second. <laughs> I don't know. I, I bought into it. Well, like I said, I think, but like you said, believability is a big thing. And that's why I, I, I say that, you know, I think Pixar can sometimes be too heavy handed with that shit. Like they got to have so many emotional moments for you to believe that someone has changed. Yeah. Sometimes that it's like, oh, man, I mean, look, I, I think that scene with Jesse is really sad, too. But holy shit, we took like <laughs> we took a few minutes to do that, <laughs> that sing along. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I think that. And one of the reasons why I always have a hard time deciding which of these three movies I like the best, if you don't count four, because usually at different points in my life, I'll like a certain one more than the other. Um, but I think one of the reasons that I always like when I when one is my favorite, one of the reasons that I come to that one as my favorite is because it's probably the subtlest. It, they remind me of actual human beings the most for being toys. Whereas, like I said, two and three, they're, they're the heroes of the story and they're going to win and all that kind of stuff. 
but as far as like real personal change uh i think it drops off towards the end not that that's a bad thing but i just like the subtlety of the movie not to say that your take is wrong austin i think you're right (laughs) but um i think it still has its positive effects is all i'm saying I mean, like that the way that it it ends is very, very entertaining. Like it is funny watching Sid get his in quotes <laughs> comeuppance, you know? Hell yeah. He toys see Ev and he turns his head around like the exorcist. <laughs> oh my god. It's yeah, great. Two one Reach for the sky. Huh? This town ain't big enough for the two of us. What? Somebody's poisoned the water hole! It's busted. Who are you calling busted, Buster? That's right. I'm talking to you, Sid Phillips. We don't like being blown up, Sid. Or smashed, or ripped apart. We? That's right. Your toys. But, like, you've done psychological damage to this guy, to this kid. <laughs> hey, Woody doesn't understand that. <laughs> I think I think he does, though. I think he, he does. <laughs> and then the, the big chase at the end is more exciting because the toys are kind of working against them in the beginning. And it adds more drama yeah, they to wanna, that they scene. they still want to kill Woody. Like, they, yeah. they are... They're under the impression that if, if, if they ever see Woody again, they will kill him. The last thing that Etch-a-Sketch said to Woody was the noose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of my favorite things, I think, the, the noose. Um, but it, it creates like a really exciting scene because then they throw Woody out. And then now Woody's riding on RC with Buzz and they got the rocket. It's, it's more exciting that way than to see both of them. And, and then, of course, he goes up on the rocket and they fly together. But... If he would have just said, Buzz is in trouble, we need your help, it probably could have gotten him on the well, on the truck a lot easier. <laughs> okay, look. Yes, you're right, but that's not dramatic, Austin. Look, man. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it, it, I'm not saying it would have been a better movie. I'm just saying Woody might have appeared to have learned his lesson. You know, I would have I would be more on the Woody's all right bus, you know? Instead I'm like, I didn't forget Woody. I didn't forget what you did. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> but the scene is 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 great. I love it. I love well, it. Well, I think there's a lot of things that make that final scene really exciting, in my opinion, and it's something that a lot of final acts don't have. There's one goal, right? Get to the car or get to the truck. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of little mini conflicts that happen in that final act, and it's constantly switching between them. That goes back to the screenwriting aspect. I mean, Woody has to rescue Buzz from blowing up. Uh, so they have to deal with Sid. Once they deal with him, hey, it's a moment of celebration. Everybody say bye, house. <laughs> bye. <laughs> like right afterward. <laughs> but yeah, then the bus, then the truck is leaving. So now they have to find a way to catch up to the to the truck. They caught up to the truck. Oh, but then there's Scud, because which was set up from their plan earlier, right? Set a payoff. 
uh, they inadvertently created another conflict through trying to solve a problem earlier on. So now they have to deal with Scud. So th- then they have Scud's to- a dog, by the way. I don't uh, know if we mentioned that. No. So then they have to deal with Scud, right? And that introduces the RC, and they they catch up to the truck, but they're like losing it's they're losing its battery. Uh, but they're like, oh, we can use the rocket. Oh, but the rocket's gonna explode and it's going to destroy us. They manage and they to- even lighting the rocket too. Like is a thing. Yeah, he uses the match, which they pay off from Woody's forehead from earlier. <laughs> exactly, they're setting yeah. up and paying off little things. And the and the final, the final act, the final climax of the film has all of these little different com- uh, little little conflicts that the our heroes are able to solve because of everything that they learned from the film from the past hour. And that's incredible. Mm-hmm. That's it is constantly engaging. Right when you think, oh my god, they finally made it. Boom, another fucking problem. Oh, they solved that one. Boom, another problem. Oh, they solved that one. Boom, another problem. And at the very end, we're like, oh, fuck. I've seen Buzz fall. They're going to eat it. And he lost his arm the first time. They're falling from a way higher altitude. They're going to dis- they're going to splat. And he find- he find- you know, he glides. He's mm-hmm. falling with style. And it-, it just all comes together. And fuck, I, I knew how this movie was going to end. But I was like, I really, I'm. It's getting my blood pumping. It's. Oh, I feel yeah. good. It's I, exciting. It's. It's beautiful. It was very, very well made. Very well thought out. Just the whole movie. The whole movie, all around. Yeah, man. I mean, there's so many lessons throughout this movie. Also about judging people through their appearance. I mean, when we go into Sid's rooms, you see all the other toys, and you think that they're cannibals. As a kid, that fucking baby head with those tentacle arms. <laughs> Oh, the tentacle. Okay. The tentacle. The that's spider. A, that's a Star Trek reference, right? I've set my laser from stun to kill. Yeah, that's he's a Star Trek. Sure that's not Star Wars. He also Star, does yeah. the Vulcan salute when he says, yeah. "You are a oh, sad right, right, stranger." Yeah. <laughs> this movie is chock full of movie references. You mentioned The Exorcist earlier. There was, there's mm. two more that I really like. There was the one where it's the POV from Buzz's buzz's first oh, reaction inside his mask yeah, yeah and you hear the it's that's the breathing from 2001 a space odyssey <laughs> yeah just that <sighs> yeah, that's that's darth vader but it's it's there it's pretty comparable and i was like oh that's 2001 and then there's the famous wilhelm scream which i was like <laughs> yeah oh. when he falls out the window <laughs> yeah and the carpet the carpet in the hallway where they both kind of go crazy is from the shining in sid's house in Sid's house. Oh, yeah. you guys mentioned The Shining. I was like, what reference to The Shining was there? <laughs> I guess yeah. sort of when Scud is breaking through the door a little bit. Oh, for uh, Johnny? As well. Yeah, Maybe. a little bit. Maybe. I just mainly, like, they both kind of mentally snap in that hallway. Yeah. Like, mm. Woody's doing his best to escape, and then he sees Scud, and he just breaks down. He just loses <laughs> all. He just wants to cry. And then, and then, of course, Buzz jumps, and he snaps and becomes Mrs. Nesbitt for a hot second. <laughs> like, they just... They snap in that hallway. <laughs> that house breaks them. Yeah. This house breaks them. Woody does some batshit insane stuff where he's pretending to be Buzz. I'm like, God damn it, man. Even as a kid, I look, man, I don't remember that much from being a kid, but even as a kid, I was like, that's stupid. Stupid, <laughs> stupid, yeah, stupid. Yeah, they had to do it because they had to pay off that great joke, which is, Buzz, will you give me a hand? Yeah. And yep. he throws his arm up there. <laughs> That's another thing. This movie is really funny and witty. Well, these are cartoonists making, these are like, you know what I mean? These are people from animation who made like cartoons. That's it's. These are like Looney Tunes people. I don't know what it is about when people from cartoons, they just don't have a real, because they're not grounded, they can make yeah. weird like body humor, body horror humor stuff. Like SpongeBob does that a lot. And mm-hmm. Looney Tunes and Mickey Mouse, 
where they rip each other's skin off and all this kind of stuff. Wily e. Coyote has been reduced to eyes so many times. <laughs> yeah, you can just treat inanimate objects or people who aren't real with such a I don't know how to describe it exactly. I'm sure a cartoonist a brutality or someone who that works you can't in cartoons do in... that Yeah. Um but I'm sure there's something more specific. But this movie definitely takes advantage of cracking people physically and mentally in ways that I don't think you can get away with with live action. And hey, credit to them because those were funny gags. But even the dialogue, I was paying attention a lot more to the dialogue. And fuck, this movie, there's a lot of jokes. And they come and go, like they are quick with it. Yeah, one that I never truly understood was when um, Slinky is, you know, obviously sucking up to Woody. And Mr. Potato <laughs> takes off his mouth yeah. and starts kissing his own ass. Yeah. <laughs> I never understood that until years later. That's that edge that What's-His-Name was talking about. See, he was on a side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jeffrey Kattenberg. <laughs> I, 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 did not under, I never understood that joke until when I watched this movie. When revisiting this movie for this episode, I watched that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I get what he's doing. He's doing a kiss-ass <laughs> joke. There's pieces of dialogue all the way through like that and it's like fuck this was really this is funny and it's clever this movie's great movie's great one thing i wanted to kind of talk about which kind of surprised me was uh the filming the actual cinematography of the movie oh yeah it's great it's very inspired all the canted shots of the walkie-talkie as they're waiting to hear what the (laughs) the presents are it's subtle Um, but you but it registers it registers it registers the characters' anxieties really well. The use of POV shots in the movie, there was so there's a lot. When Buzz enters a room, uh, when they're in the bag, uh, when they're in like the machine, the claw, mm-hmm. there's a lot of POVs, and you just get the sense of scale that these toys have to deal with. You know what I mean? The world just becomes <laughs> infinitely bigger, and I'm like. Wow, this is really inspired cinematography. It's really inspired. That whole scene in the car when they're confronting each other, like Buzz pops over the sunroof and he drops down. And <laughs> it's just, and their their whole argument underneath the the <laughs> the truck and the the Dynaco uh, gas station, like they are just like it's. I just keep saying the same word over and over, but it's just very confident. Like they knew what they were doing, and they it just felt like they knew what was going to be good and what was going to work. It just, there wasn't any guesswork here. I don't know. It's just so well executed. I, I want to like, I want to go ahead and say something that I, I dislike about the movie, but it's really hard. Um, just cause even the flaws are like part of the experience. I feel like well, what? it's not like when you see a, see something or there's a part of a character that's like, man, if this was just like fixed, I would have a better experience. But, um, but what are some of your, what what are some of your complaints about it? Even if, you know, they're part of the experience, what do you dislike about it? Um, I mean, like Austin said, from a technical standpoint, um, you know, you can tell that they were pushing a lot of like the rooms and, and things like that as far as you know, some things are kind of still kind of plasticky in a way you don't want them to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but outside of that, I, fuck, man. I mean, I, I guess I wish the kids looked better. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly... <laughs> I the look did not bother me at all. I mean, if you put a if you put a screen grab of this movie, Scud's in, eyes could have been designed better. <laughs> well, Scud as a whole, <laughs> Scud as a whole could have been designed better. When he ran, he looked like a a toy dog, like not like not a not a dog dog, but like a toy. Like his legs aren't separating the way they should. You know, they're just very yeah. stiff. But outside, there were two moments where I noticed the animation were kind of janky. One, Scud, 
And number two, there's a scene where Woody is getting in the back of the uh, Pizza Planet truck. And the glass window looks horrible. <laughs> it looks terrible. Like, it re- I was looking at the re- I was looking at reflections a lot in this movie. It really started when it's Buzz's POV because you you get the perspective you get the shot of the room, but also the reflection of Buzz. And I was like, oh, mirrors is kind of difficult to pull off. So I was paying attention all the way through, and you get to that shot where Woody is getting into the back of the truck, and that glass looks janky as <laughs> fuck. That was some PlayStation One graphics. I saw that. I and I remember like, that. Oh man, I, you gotta pull through it. Go through that shot mm. of of Woody hopping in the back of the truck, and that shit looked nasty. Like the truck <laughs> well, it was is, a shitty truck, but I don't know. No, it no, could be also no, no. It was a, it was a shitty truck, right? It has stain marks and stuff. The problem is the next shot afterwards, or the next shot or two, you also see the front of the car. Like, the glass from the front of the car. And it looks nice and clean and stuff. And I was like, it, it looks very mm. different. And seeing them back and forth, I was like, ugh. Like, that was not rendered right. Like, they were like, fuck it. We just, there's an insert <laughs> shot. Fuck it. Just move on. I can see you that. Just, yeah. just pick out these things that I'm like, is that even real? No, 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 no. You know what? No, no. Fuck it's you. It's definitely real. No, no, no. I have to look at the glass again to see if it is truly that fucked up. Mm-hmm. But I, no, I noticed. I could see it being a. I could see it being a throwaway shot in the grand scheme. I mean, maybe you guys are able to notice a bit more of the jankiness. I didn't mind it. In fact, I still think this movie holds up really well in terms of the look of it. Um, I mean, granted, if you put this next to Toy Story Four, yeah, this is no comparison at all. But. I think it's still. I don't think it's 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 far away from watching something like Coco Melon. Like you can tell, even by today's standards, that someone gave a shit about this movie. Yeah, it looks. I mean, yeah, you go back, you try to watch some other animated, three D animated films, and it's like, oh. You try to watch three D animated films now, and some of them are like, oh, anything by uh, what is it, Asylum, Pictures. But no, this one still looks good. But I mean, if you're an anime. If you know, if you've got that eye, I'm not like you yeah, guys. I'm sure, do, you could pick it apart. You could, hell yeah. Um, but this is one of those examples where I'm sure you guys agree as well, where it's like a RoboCop scenario. It's like, yeah, that particular thing doesn't hold up, but everything around it is still solid enough that I'm gonna forgive it. I'm referring mm-hmm. to the uh, the CEO's death, right? The boss's death from RoboCop with his elongated oh, yeah. hands, <laughs> like oh, or ED209. Yeah, they haven't aged well, but fuck everything else around that movie is so good you're like i don't care yeah and these the characters are toys so it's okay if they're still mm-hmm. you know it's it the yeah. limitations of the technology kind of lend itself to the um actual film and the characters in it and the the world of that film but i think even like toy story 2 looks miles better than the first toy story like visually i think there's a lot more going on in that movie um but it it, the limitations and like it doesn't bother me as in Toy Story. It's just something that compared to modern things, it, it it's really apparent. Well, yeah. Again, I mean, yeah, you can help and you got to say something like, yeah, it doesn't look as good as four. Um, but that's not to say they didn't put in a lot of effort. They did. It's just better technology, oh, yeah. better workflows. Oh, yeah. um, these animators need to be applauded, man, because mm-hmm. they, they created a... Uh, they transformed the medium animation. They just busted down the door and said, here's a new thing. And the world ate it up and kudos to them, man. Well, two things I would love to hear. Cause I don't know anyone who 
I don't think I've ever met anyone who was like, nah, Toy Story is ass. No. You know I, mean? I, I'd I love to, I'd love to actually hear someone tear this movie apart. Yeah. Cause I, and not in like a cinema sins, like let's just count all the plot holes type of thing, but in a, <sighs> like a legit, like, I don't like this about this movie or this movie doesn't make me feel well, good. And this is why. Um, I'd be really curious because I think this is damn near a universally enjoyable movie. So I, I'd love to hear that percentage of people who <laughs> who don't like it and why they don't. Because um, I think it'd just be a nice perspective for me. Just like, oh, yeah, because I, I love this movie and I do think it's perfect. So I'd love to for someone to really enlighten me as to maybe what I'm not seeing or what I have rose tinted. Uh, a rose-tinted view of. The second thing is, as far as those animators getting their roses, they did, but let us not forget the first Academy Award-winning film made by their direct rivals is Shrek. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. You know who produced that? Jeffrey Katzenberg? Yeah, Jeffrey Katzenberg. Yeah, I think he's the one who (laughs) called them Dream... uh, No, no, no. He started a beef... There was a beef between Disney and DreamWorks very early on. He did not leave under, like... There was a lawsuit involved with his departure from yeah. Disney. And Disney for a while called them dream jerks, which I guess for a lot of middle-aged white men was a big <laughs> burn at the time. <laughs> Got him. Dream works. More like dream jerks. Hey, you shut your mouth. It's like George Costanza. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, they... Uh, they pretty much won an Oscar, all of the innovation, all of the years of hard work and people sleeping in their cars and inventing new technology, DreamWorks basically took a literal shit on in the opening scene of Shrek, tearing out the pages of a fairy tale and using (laughs) it as toilet paper and then winning an Oscar for doing it. Amazing. I will say what's also interesting is, um, you know, it always comes back to that same generation of fucking filmmakers George Lucas, Spielberg, Lucas, all those fucking guys. It seems like all roads somehow. (laughs) (laughs) You got Lucas with uh, basically the first run at VC with Pixar until Steve Jobs took over and Spielberg with DreamWorks. Yeah. It's funny because we're bringing up George Lucas again. And the last time you were here, we were talking about George Lucas again. Uh, It's interesting because. You know, George Lucas didn't direct, hasn't directed that many movies. He's probably only directed five or uh, four movies. No, five, no, six movies. American Graffiti, THX, and four Star Wars movies. But he's been working for a long time, just behind the scenes. He's been working on so many different things at once. He He's had a big influence in the industry. Oh, in yeah. The, in the well, behind the scenes. I think the, the thing with with Lucas and why he's never really been one of my favorite directors and star Wars for me has always been kind of a middling experience. (laughs) Um, but I think that I, I know, but I, I think that the thing about Lucas is, which I still very much respect him for, but he's not the perfect combination of creativity and innovation. (laughs) I think he, he's more on the innovation side and he'll sacrifice creativity Whereas I think that some of the minds behind Toy Story and I think with John Lasseter, he's kind of like in the middle where there's kind of like that perfect mix of creativity and innovation. Like 
I can see the future. I think this is the future of doing something, but I'm not willing to sacrifice like making good work in order to push that boundary, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like Lucas sometimes will push and push. You're like, bro, I, maybe he shouldn't be talking about sand. Nah, but it's on blue screen, so it's good. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think that there, and then there's some people who are just creative and aren't that innovative which also has its pros and cons of course and i think we need all three mm -hmm. we need that perfect but i think that when you have that perfect mix that's when you push it really push a medium forward. well I, I mean it's it's great that you brought up the trio because something that the doc talks about are the three men that kind of created that were the perfect combination in the creation of pixar because you had ed who was like a software engineer right he put in the code he was he was a software engineer but he had aspirations to be an animator what didn't cut it out as an animator but he still pushed the medium brought he made the building blocks that john lasseter would put together to to make toy story without ed you wouldn't have the technology to make toy story without john lasseter you wouldn't have the experience of animation and then you bring in steve jobs who's very much who's batman who's he's batman rich. <laughs> he's rich and he he he's a businessman who knows how to make the moves i mean they even said him deciding to make pixar a public ipo was a brilliant decision because that's when disney got got them he made the right moves at the right time and yeah that was probably a trifecta of you have innovation you have business knowledge you have software engineering you have animation and you have storytelling all these different influences came together at the perfect place at the perfect time to make Toy Story. Um, I, look, we love this movie, um, de varying degrees, but I think it's still, I think it holds up. Um, but yeah, and, let us know down in the comments how much you fucking hate this movie. I'd love to read them. <laughs> We'd love to read through those comments. But uh, I mean, we're, we're like we're talking about things that I haven't held up, and watching that, watching that, uh, the, the the Pixar story. It's a very good doc, very well directed. The director of that, here's a quick aside, but the director of that documentary, the Pixar story, made in 2007, Leslie Iwerks, is actually making documentaries about DC properties. It's just recently announced, oh. a, a few days ago. She's going to be- Definitely down for that. Oh, after this doc? Hell yeah. Count me in. I'm 100% in. But they, I mean, they talk about, uh, I mean, in that doc, you, you get uh, Steve Jobs, you get John Lasseter. And, you know, the their, you know, their image has kind of changed in recent years. You know, I mean, we've learned that Steve Jobs was kind of hor a horrible boss to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, he abused a lot learned of people. some things about John Lasseter as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was I was like, are they going to bring in Joss Whedon? They didn't. They didn't actually Ooh. talk about his con contributions to the script, which now I'm really curious about. But I mean, he, that hasn't aged well. And John Lasseter, too. I mean, it's. What really fucking got me pissed was they're talking about Pixar being this incredible place to work. And they have behind the scenes footage of it where they're going through the offices and it looks like a fucking playground. This thing looks dope. It looks like a yeah. very like pre uh, Silicon Valley office. It looks like a great place to work. And I can't help but imagine the women that John Lasseter must have been creeping over. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's always... There is that, there is the ugly side to this stuff. And I mean, we yeah. were talking about, we were talking about uh, Crunch earlier today. Um, and look, I, and Crunch has, has always been, it will always be there. You can't ignore it though. It is a, it is something that the industry goes through. And 
the abuse that went behind that went on. You know, I, I, Austin, you know a little bit more about this. Uh, you researched them. Yeah, I, I read a, the the articles talking about um, John Lasseter. This was back in like 2017, 2016, I think, when he uh, co- confronted the accusations. He never apologized really for it. He never acknowledged that they were it was sexual misconduct. He just said that they were missteps and uh, was taking a leave of absence for Disney. And after that leave of absence, uh, he like joined another studio at, at the head like a year later. So nothing really happened to him. And the people that accused him, I don't think that they were ever made, their names were ever made public. So it, it kind of shows you that even though this person is, you know, canceled, they're still afraid of him. They're still afraid of what could happen if they were named. Even um, Rashida Jones, who I think was supposed to be writing Toy Story 4, she, yeah, yeah. somebody said, Somebody said that, that he made an unwanted advance towards her, but then she came out and denied it and said that the reason she was leaving was because um, John Lasseter doesn't see, or it, she didn't feel like he thought women or people of color had an equal creative voice. She said that? Yeah. Damn. I mean, I'm not going to lie. When I was watching the documentary. A lot of white people. <laughs> yeah, the, the Cal Arts class is like, yeah. what, 10 white dudes who all look the same? <laughs> <laughs> I think, and that's what sucks. You know, I, I know we're, we're, we're definitely uh, hopping on some other topics, but I, it just sucks that the, these sociopathic behaviors seem to be attached to all of these, like, brilliant minds. You know what I mean? Like, why is this such a pattern? I don't know. I don't know if it's something that is innate within people who think this way or if it's something that they are corrupted after the fact after they've become successful or get a certain amount of money or a certain amount of clout that they feel that they can are are emboldened after that or if it's if it's something deeper than that i don't know it sucks to think about though because as a person who feels that they are at some level innately good it now worries me that that means i'm not (laughs) innately innovative but we don't know. It is shitty. And it's awful because from the doc, John Lasseter is painted as an awesome, awesome guy. Like Who got I'd to li- live his dream. Yeah. I, I, I Watching the doc, I'm like, God, I would have loved to have worked for this guy. But he probably might have thought as I wasn't. As a white man, I'm sure. But, yeah. I, <laughs> but I'm like, I don't know if he would have wanted me there. Or it, even if, if I was a woman, fuck, who knows what, we, what he would have done. You know, the women, the women accuse them of saying some awful things and doing some awful shit. We don't get a sense of it in the docs. And you're just like, fuck, man. I just, you, Austin and I were talking about this when we, after we recorded the first part of the podcast. But it's like, look, we got to talk about this. And it's not like, they fucking ruined the no, party. No, you have to. You, you they have to, they ruined the party. It, we're, we didn't ruin it by bringing them up. They did it. And now it's out there. So, like, what the fuck? You fucked up, John. You fucked up, Joss. And no, I mean you have to. There, there's a responsibility to because you know if the retrograde podcast gets bought out for a million dollars or a billion dollars or whatever, you know there's going to come a time when you have to cover something like this and you have to make that decision. And there's going to be you know whether or not you are able to even talk about it. So when you have the platform to talk about that stuff while yes we 
just spent like an hour praising everything that the man's done creatively like for the people who are going to come after him they have to understand <laughs> you can't, just because you're making great stuff doesn't mean you can be an asshole like people mm-hmm. are going to talk about it people aren't going to forget about it people aren't going to just talk about the good stuff they're going to talk about the shit that you did as well yeah in the same breath they have to so I'm, you got to talk about it yeah and i'm sure he's ruined people's lives i know these guys have ruined multiple people's lives and they might have left the industry or might have had some ptsd because of it and it's like you didn't have to do that and yet you chose to do it and also kind of enabled to do so as well because if you're the boss who's going to argue with you who's going to correct you on your behavior i absolutely fuck man it's it is every fucking day that we hear about this bullshit every fucking day it doesn't stop and it's like fuck me god damn dude it it just pisses me off because how how is this stuff still happening uh, chris and i have been talking about blizzard you know about what's happening at blizzard right austin mm-hmm. yeah god, the amount of sexual harassment that's been going on and listeners if you don't know what's been happening at blizzard it's a video game company and the fucking floodgates have opened and management and hr have been hiding sexual harassment uh, uh, like um, uh, accusations uh, they've been burning documents they're being sued by the state of California it's a goddamn shit show and this is a company that employs over a thousand people and they got away with it for so long they're now getting being exposed god damn it's it is depressing as fuck dude mm. and Jeez. so I mean the moral of the story is kids when you make something really cool don't be a dick afterwards just mm-hmm. go make another cool thing. <laughs> yeah, it it did taint my view, especially of the doc, because I I love I love behind the scenes stuff, and I loved watching the making of this film. But goddamn, you can't get past what these guys have done, and it it does taint your view. And if you're curious about the creation of Toy Story, I recommend it. But you got to know this. This is what they did, and we have to talk about it. So, um, but yeah, um. Uh, <laughs> Toy Story is awesome. The movie's great. Uh, <laughs> fuck, I feel so, I feel so dirty saying that now, but it is a good hey. Movie. It's 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 Johnny Boy's fault, you know. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's not yours. No, it, it, yeah. It's a, it's and great. Film. And you know what? He's he's fine now. He's still a millionaire. He's still ahead of a studio. Yeah. So don't feel bad. <sighs> I feel worse. <laughs> yeah, you, sh- you probably should feel worse. <laughs> <laughs> that brings me no comfort. We, I'm, there's a lot we could talk about still about this movie. Um, oh, so, hold on! I, I know we never talked about the music. You oh, got yeah, the a music. friend and me, <laughs> Randy Newman. Oh my Randy god! Newman. Okay, okay. I will say this: the music hasn't, or the that the musical, the the sung songs, you know, the Randy Newman ones have not aged that well, in my opinion, just because of how much his voice has been parodied. It doesn't hit the same. (laughs) It doesn't because now I just hear like a hundred different YouTube parodies of his voice. Like all these Uh, other YouTube. Well, look, I, I, I never, I've never listened to Randy Newman outside of Toy Story because his voice is so associated. For me, it's the opposite because I, I I guess I haven't watched enough YouTube poop, but because his voice is so associated with the movie, even though it's not a genre of music that I normally listen to, it is just inherently Toy Story. Like, that's Mm -hmm. what Toy Story sounds like. Yeah. It's not like a, a, it'll get old after some point. It's just like that, like, Toy Story sounds like Randy Newman. (laughs) Yeah. There's, I think the music was written for the movie, right? Yes. Yeah. And there's, there's that moment where Buzz is trying to fly 
And that song is kind of about his like conflict, right? Because he thinks it, he maybe he can, he can still fly. And then he falls and then the song goes, he'll go sailing no more. I was, I don't know, for some reason, it bugged me that why, why sailing? Why not flying? I guess it just rhymes better. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I forgot how much he was in the movie, Randy Newman. I think there's like three songs that are in the movie about. Uh, yeah, there's "You Got a Friend in Me," classic. There's a strange, uh, strange things, and then oh yes, uh, the montage when yeah, Buzz is okay, taking over the room. Yeah, great soundtrack. I it it's just it's been parodied so much. I can't I can't hear yeah. it the same way. It's you can't. It's it's different for you because you've. Well, they did. They still played it in the Spanish version, right? They did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's and they didn't. Uh, they didn't change it for a Spanish Randy Newman. It was like the same soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, I doubt they were going to convince mm. Randy Newman to sing in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. Uh, yeah. It like once, but like your your. Um, I saw this movie when I was a little kid, so like that that stuck with me. I guess it it, it was Toy Story for me. But if I were to go on YouTube and see the parodies and then come back to this movie, it would it wouldn't feel the same. I would be laughing when I heard his voice. To some extent, I still am laughing when I hear his voice. I'm like, oh, I do yeah. too. Yeah, I I I make fun of it all the time. I mean, he sound he sounds drunk. He sounds like <laughs> he's a testament that anyone can sing. It's a story about friendship with music by me. About a bear and a bunny. And then the bunny's family dies, but the bear becomes his new family. Something like that. <laughs> it's, like, it's not, it, it's sing, this music industry, it's not really about who's the best singer. You know, it's it's who has nah, it's... that that thing that nobody else has. Mm-hmm. I guess Tom Waits kind of sounds like Randy Newman. But, but uh... That's besides the point. Let's let's uh, get to our quotes. Or is there anything else you want to say? Uh, I think I said it, man. I think I think you just got to watch it. Ten out of ten on a retrograde scale. Yeah. You good, George? Were you gonna say something? No, no, no. I'm sorry, I'm looking for the actual quote. Um, God damn. No, no, no. I, I knew the, I knew the, I knew the quote, but I'm looking for the exact. Uh, I'm I was looking for it and I couldn't find it, so now I'm I found it. Okay. Well. Do you know about this part of the episode, right, Chris? We, for a very brief yeah. period, we used to like actually rate the movies on a scale, but we want to do something different. So we've come up with a way of uh, ta- summar- summarizing how we feel about the movie by coming up with a quote that was in the movie that summarizes how we feel about the film. Do you have a quote, Chris? uh y'all can go first i don't know if i have a quote i have some favorite quotes but to sum up the movie give me a sec well my my quote is about a very specific part of the movie that i feel strongly about that i didn't notice when i was a kid was how sad woody was and so my quote is when they're under the the truck and buzz says to him you are a sad strange little man and you have my pity farewell (laughs) that's my quote (laughs) That's, that, that's a good line. I laughed at that line. I love it. He's, he's right. He's right. Buzz might not know a lot of things. He might not know that he's on Earth and he's a toy, but he knows Woody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, actually, that reminded me. We his Tim Allen's line delivery 
is fantastic in that scene. And we didn't even talk about the voice acting, but the voice acting is incredible. Uh, every actor hits it out of the park. And yeah, it's like uh, Toy Story and Galaxy Quest make me forget I hate Tim Allen. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the Santa Claus, classic Christmas film. Yeah, he killed Santa Claus. He he did that for us. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so my, my quote, so I have two quotes cause you know, I can't follow the rules. Uh, there's one quote that I like and there's one quote that I feel about the movie. It's this exchange. Woody. All right. That's enough. Look, we're all impressed with Andy's new toy. Buzz says toy. Woody replies T O Y toy. Buzz Lightyear is like, excuse me. I think the word you're searching for is space ranger, which Woody says the word I'm searching for. I can't say because there's preschool preschool toys present. <laughs> and I, I laughed at that line a lot. I rewinded it a few times. I'm like, I did not know what he said that. Excuse me. I, I think the word you're searching for is space ranger. The word I'm searching for, I can't say because there's preschool toys present. Even when I was a kid, I was like, that didn't register. But talking about this film and talking about it with Chris and watching the doc, I felt inspired. I felt like. Wow, these guys were able to tell a really great and compelling story in 80 minutes. feels like every film nowadays is like over two hours and stuff, which isn't a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all, but it was efficient. They got a lot done and it was heartfelt. And I mean, talking with Chris as well about kind of what these guys had to go through and the possibilities that this opened up. I can't help but be a basic bitch and say that one of my favorite quotes and the way I feel about this movie is <laughs> the, the one that everybody knows to infinity, to infinity and, and beyond. beyond. It, and particularly the one that Woody says at the very end of the film, I am very basic. I am basic with a capital B, but I, that's my, I love it, man. Those two quotes, one made me laugh and the other one made me cry or cry inside. I didn't actually cry. I don't cry. Ah, oh, man, it's tough to say a line that really encapsulates the movie for me. But so I won't even try to do that. I think that's too difficult of a task. and I didn't think about it enough beforehand. So what I will say is, while it may not encapsulate the themes of the movie for me, it definitely encapsulates the spirit of the movie for me. And probably one of the lines that I think about the most <laughs> when I'm just going about my day and suddenly Toy Story pops up into my head is the one of the first nights that Woody has to sleep in the toy box <laughs> and the shark, <laughs> the shark pops up with Woody's hat and he goes, hi, I'm Woody. Howdy, 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 howdy. Uh-huh. And Woody goes, uh-huh. 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 give me that. <laughs> uh-huh. That is very much the spirit of toy story for me just the absurdity of it yeah the character of it the scope of it uh i don't know why that scene is just for years and years just replays in my head all the time you could tell so i'm gonna not used to being in the box <laughs> at all no <laughs> <laughs> uh. um and that's that shark's only line man he never makes another appearance in the it's franchise. great <laughs> it's great great line but it's stuck perfect with line for years yeah yeah and it's just a little one it's just a little aside that they had the time to do in this 80 minute movie yeah so i appreciate that (laughs) fantastic film obviously we recommend rewatching it and the doc as well the doc is a very interesting view uh look into the uh into the creation of this company that would go on to make some of our favorite films and it's definitely worth checking out both films i say back to back however you guys like One's on Disney Plus and the other is on Netflix. I guess you can figure out which one's which or where 
each film is at collectively. Um, I think that's it. All right, so that sums up our episode of Toy Story. If you like the episode, if you want to hear more from us, please rate our podcast or subscribe to it if you haven't already. Give us five stars wherever you can rate it because it helps people find the show. We are on Twitter and Instagram at retrograde underscore pod. We come out with like little videos occasionally when our episodes are up, which are pretty fun to do. And I think they're they're pretty good, especially our last one. I think our last one was really good. Which one? The the drive one that you did. Oh, yeah, yeah. That one was good. Because yeah. you were talking about something on on the, the podcast and I was like, I have no idea what he's fucking saying. <laughs> I'm just going to agree and then we'll move on. <laughs> No, no, no. Um, it's it's, it's it hard really, to imagine it. But when you see the video, it makes perfect sense. It makes so much more sense. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know he wasn't actually driving. <laughs> mm. um, <laughs> but yeah, so we're at retrograde, one word, underscore pod. We have, we're on Facebook, retrograde podcast. Um, Chris, where can people find you? I'm, I live on Twitter and Instagram. Um, at, uh, I guess, Instagram would be gray g-r-e-y underscore one five one and twitter is gray infinity g-r-e-y infinity um i want to say all one word awesome oh oh i was wrong about my twitter it's gray infinity but there's an underscore between the two words for anyone who decided to listen after i dropped the hand perfect i see it i was looking through twitter to see like where where is he said it right when i found it um but yeah thank so that's all we have oh george do you want to close it say, out thank you chris no no you, you you could close it out i just want to thank chris for coming on always great to oh, talk yes, to thank us. you always good to have you on always insightful we always bring you on for these kind of important episodes i mean we, we i mean every episode's important but like the new year's one was about hbo max kind of digital technology now we're talking about 3d animation really big topics so thank you for coming on yeah, man. I just really like movies, man. I really like this medium, and I think about it a lot beyond just movies themselves. So I'm pretty much always going to review a movie this way. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Um, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for being Until here. Until next time. Thanks. Uh, and we will be coming out with a new episode two weeks from now. Uh, what and is then- that episode? Oh, man, oh this is our Halloween season. It's Halloween so, season. Ah, the next one. Our next one, according to the schedule, is Mahalan Drive. I love David Lynch is my favorite director. Man. Um, so I'm gonna be very excited to be doing Mahalan Drive on October 10th. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm excited to be doing Mahalan Drive because goddamn, yes. that movie is a fucking trip. That movie hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, that's going to be a fantastic episode. Yes. And then on the 24th, we're going to be doing an American Werewolf in London. Well, and actually, ha- I, what? I wanted I wanted to talk to you about that. Oh, uh, I because, I, you know, we've got we look, man, we've got some great horror films signed up and American American Werewolf in London is great. But there was another one just to shake it up a little bit, you know, shake it. Up, OK, shake it. All right, we'll up. save that. We'll save that for later. We'll keep keep people in um, suspense. In the- but, the, but the last on one. Halloween Day is going to be The Descent. Ooh. Which I have not seen. And Chef's I'm excited kiss. to see for the first time. I am so excited to talk about this movie. 
I think I'm you're gonna love it, Austin. Too. And look, man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not baiting you. I really think you're gonna like this movie. I never think you're baiting me, George. Oh, I get the feeling that you're like, ah, man, he's just saying this to bait me. Nah, I, I think, I think you're gonna like the descent. This is such a great movie. Oh, ooh, I'm excited. Me too. All right, all right, that's all we have for today. We will see you in two weeks. Bye bye. <laughs>